All right, it's going. Welcome to the Thunk Tank. Welcome to Thunk Tank Podcast, brought to you by Steaks and Skee-Ball. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so this, this episode, uh, we had on author Kevin Clouther. Yes. I thought it was a great episode. Um, we, had a, we had some good conversations, some deep stuff. We talked a lot about um, sort of the craft and craft writing and craft beer. Um, craft music. Just craft in general and yeah. technique, right? Yeah. Versus sort of the more emotional, like, you know, yeah. for music, you have expressivity of of how you phrase and make sound. Yeah, we really discussed artistry and <clears throat> artistry in general. Forms, yeah. yeah. Which was kind of cool to get the perspective of somebody who uh is a writer but has been he's been at it for quite and some teaching time. it too. Yeah, teaching it. Yeah. Which is I think a, a important way to sort of get the full spectrum of what exists out yeah. there, and you know. We'll, and we'll link his uh his book in uh Yeah, we talked about his short story below. collection uh a lot. And so we'll we'll put a link to that if you want to check it out and great buy it. Sh- great short story collection. Yeah, perfect. I, I've read it. Yeah, it's perfect for like like we say in the episode, reading a short story at night takes you about a half hour instead of watching yeah. Netflix. You know, right. something like that. Yeah, I I will say fair warning. We we're not joined by Johnny Genie this. Unfortunately, yes. yeah. He had uh, to being the brave genie that he is. He had to cover the shift for someone else. The genie shift. Yeah, I mean, when dimension. you're a genie with the talent of yeah. of Johnny, yeah. you know. You gotta follow your calling. And if this is your first episode you're yeah. listening to, go back and listen to the other like 17, and this will all make sense. I'll put it this way: yeah. um, we missed Johnny this episode because uh, if you haven't heard our episode on ghosts, he's the one that kind of pushes us in the direction of ghost blowjobs. Yeah, he really gets us to that yeah. point. And only a genie can do that. Only a genie has the so power. So we do missed that. him this episode, yeah. but um, he'll be he'll be back next week. He'll be back, and we'll make him have double the amount of beer make to up make for, up for it make up for lost yeah. uh, uh, you know what he does for sure <laughs> we also talked about um music a lot and uh, specifically i i talked a lot about the composer gustav mahler yeah. so if you've never heard his music it's definitely worth um checking out we'll put a link in the description to just see yeah. some youtube videos of what mahler is like yeah tickle um, your uh, music nodes yeah tickle your your musical uh uh Tickle points in the brain. Yeah, well, because that gets into, that's a scientific term. But that gets into you know uh, obviously a lot of music has uh, lyrics too, you know? right? And we talked about lyricism and, and yeah. poetry and writing those and lyricism of, and music. Yeah, those cross sections and how they overlap and how they how they do sort of accomplish similar goals in terms of artistry in different ways. You yeah, know, through different means. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a it's a interesting episode. We also get into a debate on whether you should put cheese on an egg sandwich. Yeah, there was a whole thing about egg sandwiches. Yeah. It was really funny. We would like be talking deep shit about Mahler and then like on a dime switch to like um, you know how butter to butter side up or butter side down. How no. to cook garlic on bread or yeah. shit like that. Yeah. Um Damn, I'm kind of out of it. We just got back from the gym. Yeah. Well, so, I will say, uh, if you like what you hear, check us out on Patreon. And if you like the ghost blowjob direction, um, we, we if you like what we do, we do it even more in the drunk tanks, which are available on Patreon. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Thunk Tank Podcast. Like, share, and subscribe. Uh, for as little as a dollar an episode. Not drunk. Yeah. Like, share, and subscribe. It doesn't even slur off the tongue. <laughs> I know. Um, it's amazing. So you you know every few episodes we'll just record a little bit of extra stuff, have more beer, and I got to be honest, get ridiculous. I got to be honest, drunk tank is the best part. So you should lecture and subscribe. I almost feel bad putting a paywall in front of it. 
It's not a paywall so much as a wall that you have to pay to get past. Sure. Yeah, I like that. I mean, that was a sentence. Like Trump's wall. Uh, except uh, great again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> America. I don't know what we're saying. No, uh, we're, we're a little gymmed out. All right. I think we got it all, though. Yeah. So I uh, hope you enjoy the episode. If you don't, then you are dead to me, and I'll see you in hell. Mm-hmm. And we hope that you join us next episode. All right. Enjoy this episode with Kevin Clouther. Yep. Attention, humans. This is a thunk tank. Please insert this podcast directly into your nearest orifice for viewing pleasure. Okay, you ready? Oh, shit. (laughs) Welcome to the thunk tank. (laughs) Welcome to the thunk tank. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Welcome. Come into our... Come into our thunk tank. Luke, don't switch to the other peanuts. <laughs> Welcome to the thunk tank. Come in the tank. We're thinking and we're drinking. <laughs> and we're thunked. And we're thunked. Oh my god, I'm probably more beer than man if we go far enough back at this point. We never know Boom, when we're actually we're live. live. Now we're live. Oh, we're yeah. live? It's official? By live, we mean uh, we could delete this Yeah. if you say is, something bad. This is an actual Welcome streaming. to the Thunk Tank Podcast. Yeah, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, unfortunately, this episode, we have no... Johnny Genie. Magic of the Johnny Genie. Yeah. Um, he had to... Uh, I guess he somebody, was off in Genie World. Somebody... Uh, he got lost. Yeah, let's just say he's at a special Genie training seminar. Yeah. He gets paid... He gets a raise if he finishes this certificate program. I'm sorry, we have a guest here, and clearly we yeah. should explain this better. So my brother is our third partner in uh, podcasting, but he, he just had to pick up a shift at the bar tonight, basically. But we call him Johnny Genie because he uh, he does a Genie Would You Rather segment, and he, he tries to out-Genie us because he, he's just good at it, honestly. Well, the tradition of the Genie goes back, I guess, all the way to, like, the beginning. The beginning of time. Yeah. And uh, he gives... Uh, he just has all power, which is the only way to make a would you rather work. Yeah. So I told Johnny maybe, maybe if he gets home from work early enough, he can quick call in a would you rather to us. That would be great. That'd be good. Well, we, we can also have people call in now. Uh, maybe. I didn't set it up today. <laughs> all right. So we're, here we are. We're in the thunk tank. We're drinking uh, delicious beer. We also have a guest. Yes. Sir, author Kevin Clouther. Welcome to Thunk Tank. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. It's an honor, John. Yeah, and uh, so what are we starting here with, folks? We have well, I have the can actually, so I guess I can explain. We have Sand City, um, a diamond in the rough. Uh, what is this? Double dry hop? You said? Uh, I don't know. Read the can, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do the work. It's a Citra Double Indian Pale Ale. 8.5%. Yeah. If anybody knows other half beer, it's it's kind of uh, reminiscent of the other half uh, DDH All Citra Everything, which is one of my favorite beers. I think we featured that one too. Second to yeah. Trillium. <clears throat> oh. um, I know you've been to Trillium oh, a few great. times, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite beers from Trillium is called uh, DDH Fort Point. That's terrific. Um, yeah. So you're into beer, right? I am. So that that's always helpful when we're getting guests <laughs> that are already into beer. Yeah. I've I've had a few get like potential guests who are. I, I say, oh, yeah, come on, you know, it's a good time, and they're kind of a little like, eh, and then I say to them, you don't have to 
get really drunk on beer. You can either have one or none or if also, wine is like, your we, thing. Also, like, we whatever. did a whole episode on cocktails and we just, yeah. like, downed whiskey. Oh, God. Like, that Manhattan's. Was a, that was a disaster. Um, that was great. If it ended at 4 a.m. <laughs> if you haven't heard that episode, go back, what was it, 8 or something? It was called yeah. The Art of Mixology. Yeah, the, 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 the slurring really started early on. Yeah, I got one. home at 4.30. Yeah. Don't worry, was... that won't happen. We're going to yeah. stick to beer and... Uh, yeah, we'll be fine. If yeah. you stick to beer, you're in the clear, right? That's how the saying goes? You know, I've said a lot of things in my life, and the ones that rhyme, I trust Officer, I, st- I stick to beer, I'm clear. Is that your go-to? <laughs> yeah, that's my go-to line if I get pulled over at night. <laughs> I mean, hey, we're here. Um, We've made it. So uh, we have a few other beers. I guess we'll just talk about them as we open them, probably, maybe. Or do yeah. you want to just like mention them now? No, we we can go through them as needed. I yeah. think, right? I saw uh, yeah. a Barrier Money in there. Yeah, we got that's money. a that's a recurring uh, beer guest on the podcast. Barrier is doing some good stuff. <laughs> I, they have a lot of new stuff out now that I haven't tried, but uh, Money is pretty go to. I'm cool. a big fan of the Money. So I did get your book about. Two weeks ago, I started reading some of the "We're Flying to Chicago." Well, this is this is great. It came out four years ago, so this is the perfect time to. <laughs> well, I to ordered it. it. I ordered <laughs> it four years ago, and yeah. it, it only just came. Like the Amazon drone fucked up. The uh, must have crashed or something. Hey, you know that's that's why you can't trust the the drones, unfortunately. But uh, Joe, the other night at a bar, you were showing me uh, a short story named Sticks. Oh, oh yeah, that? the George Saunders. Yeah. yeah. And oh, I yeah. just thought, I was reading some of your short stories. Yeah. I thought, like, man, I fucking love short stories. Yeah. 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 Like, the art of short stories. Um, as a musician, though, like, I, I have a quick little video clip that I think I was, it, I think it captures, like, what I love about short stories. It was sort of my, like, music translation of it. Oh, so I'm just going to play that real yeah, quick. Yeah, go for it. It's very multimedia. I know we're, we're thanks in the to the now. generous Patreon uh, soundboard donator. Like, share, and subscribe. If you give us another soundboard, we'll prof- We'll just sell it and like make a profit off of it. We've right? already discussed this. How we're 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 not far off becoming. This is just a podcast re- front for a soundboard business. <laughs> soundboard refurbishing uh, fronts of sorts. So but. this is a, a TED talk uh, with the famous conductor Michael Tielson Thomas. But I, I already have it queued up right to the spot where he's talking about the Beethoven Violin Concerto. Okay. flinchingly about who we really are. It's a language that's still... Now, over the centuries, it grew into the big pieces we always think of, like concertos and symphonies, but even the most ambitious masterpiece can have as its central mission to bring you back to a fragile and personal moment, like this one from the Beethoven Violin Concerto. simple, so evocative. So many emotions seem to be inside of it. Yet, of course, like all music, it's essentially not about anything. It's just a design of... So the main vibe I love, like, in in music, we call it program music versus absolute music, right? So like an opera, right? It has a plot. It has, like, that's just a moment from Beethoven's Violin Concerto, Mm. sort of about 80% of the way through the first movement, 
it's a theme you've heard a bunch of times and it just comes back with this like very empty texture and did you hear the sound he made halfway through playing it he just goes like mm. yeah that's the sound i made when i read sticks yeah. yeah that's the sound i make when i when i read like like a a perfect line from a book yeah. or something where you're just like it captures everything even though you can't quite say right. how it did it right yeah i think that's interesting too to point out with uh especially thinking about short fiction compared to like longer form uh you know prose like novels or something like that so maybe that's a that's a good question to start with because i'm very curious what you think about a lot of this as somebody who does a lot of writing on you know both ends of that spectrum so thinking about like short stories i mean and, and a collection like we were flying to chicago like where where do you even start with something like that like did you start with the 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 that piece itself we were flying to chicago or like where where does that even begin in terms of starting to formulate a collection like that i just want to say guys i'm so excited to be talking about craft beer short fiction and classical music which are like three of my five favorite things in the world um, yeah right yeah why not why not merge these worlds right you know i mean the thing about someone like saunders that um I'm going to not answer your question, then I'll come around Saunders later. is the author of this uh, story I mentioned, Sticks. We'll post it in the episode links. We'll definitely like it. Also, uh, the whole point is to be derivative, so okay. feel free to not answer okay. any of my questions yeah. and just yeah. roll with it, yeah. I mean, think about someone like Saunders, and, and this is by no means original what I'm about to say, is, but he, he's such a truth teller. You read his fiction, and you feel like you're getting the real story. You feel like the language is direct. You feel like the characters are accessible. You feel like it's completely unadorned. And when you read a longer piece, yeah. so much of it is about world building. But right. in short fiction, you don't have to do that. You just have to capture a moment or an experience or a character. So it's it's going right to the heart of things, right. you know. And so when I read Saunders, it's almost like you can't read too many in a row because it's just too much feeling. Yeah. Whereas if you read a novel, there are passages of, you know, Anna Karenina. Where for 200 pages, it's like agrarian land reform. And I love <laughs> Tolstoy, right. but, you know, you can get through those 200 pages in, in one sitting and, and your heart will be okay. But to read 200 pages of, of Saunders or, or someone like uh, Chekhov, is, it's mm. too much. you got to just sort of right. take, a, take a break. Um, so each of the stories in, in my book were written um, in totally different states of mind and totally different moments of my life the first story i started when i was 21 and had just graduated from college and the last story i finished when i was 34 and was married with a kid you know those and are it, so different yeah <laughs> so i mean you're talking about yes. 10 stories S seismic right? shift yeah, yeah written over the course or revised over the course of like 13 years um and so they're just these different moments of the of the things I was seeing and the and the ways I was thinking over the course of my life. They don't have a lot to do with each other, truthfully, other than they all had something to do with what I was thinking about and caring about. Um, and I do think that makes mm. a story collection pretty different from a novel, certainly very different from a, a nonfiction project. So right. the the title we were flying to Chicago is also the the name of the first story. Yeah, is there was there a reason for that or? Yeah, I was flying to Chicago. <laughs> I with, figured with as other, with the other way you people. described everything. Well, I did not see that twist coming. The you way you described yeah. uh, spoiler alert yeah. uh, flying yeah. in that Truen, story. Don't buy it. Don't. Yeah. Buy it. I honestly started. I get some anxiety when I fly for sure, yeah. and I started getting the same flying anxiety just because like 
There's that's, so much going on. That's exactly on. Yeah. the thought process. I just start, yeah. like, looking at everybody and just, like, figuring out their life story and being like, how did that guy get fat? You know, like, you know, that guy <laughs> hates his wife. And I just start, like, picking apart. Yeah. Because you're in this small metal capsule. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And not only that, in this story, the whole concept was, like, fuck, we're going to Chicago, but we yeah. don't even want to. That's right. Well, that's exactly what happened. I was flying from New York to Detroit, and while we were in the air, the pilot came on to say... Guess what, guys? We're going to Chicago. And anybody who's seen a map of the United States understands that if you are flying to Detroit from New York and you wind up in Chicago, something's gone really wrong. And so everybody on the plane was very, very unhappy. And I, uh, I took out a pen and a piece of paper, and I just started writing about what I was seeing around me. On the just, shaky uh, train Yeah, just all, all these people who were, who yeah. were sort of upset about things. I wrote, you know... I don't know, a couple sentences, a couple paragraphs. And uh, that story is in the the first person plural, which is a weird point of view to write in. But that's just because Mm. I I didn't feel like I was in any one particular person's head. I was just kind of going from person to person inside the plane. At Uh, 200 and... Yeah, and, th- and yeah. thinking about what thirty-five thousand feet, right? What they what they were worked up about, yeah. and then eventually, I realized that I was way more interested in what the the women were thinking about, um, and so I just made the the first person plural women. But you know, hmm. when it started, it, I was just trying to to get down all this feeling, and uh, I'm a big believer in writing in different places at different times you know right yeah. in the dmv right on a train right on a bus well a lot of right those places morning. too they're almost like like human zoos in a sense because you see uh-huh. people in these environments where different elements of who they really are are going to come out like you go to the dmv and you're like this is is not far from mad max sometimes yeah and it expo- yeah. exposes you to different stimuli i mean i know there's yeah. the you know jonathan Franz said when he was writing the corrections he wrapped his head in a turban and he was in this dungeon and he just <laughs> stared at an empty wall and he w- didn't allow himself to look at anything but the but the page and I get that you're just totally beholden to your imagination but I think going in the other direction is pretty useful too where you just yeah. you're smelling different things you're hearing different things you're seeing different things and then that invariably affects what you end up writing about it's like a lot yeah. of composers they'll they they often use the language like um, the idea came to me from somewhere else, yeah. right? And they often yeah. think like, oh, yeah. you know, it could be God gave me the idea, whatever. Sure. But really, I think it's stimuli come in and then your subconscious will burp up an idea. Yeah. And then if, you, if you're if you lucky to have a pe- pen and pad around, yeah. you'll write it down. If yeah. you're not, it gets lost like a dream that you forget. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. And I never dream things and wake up and write them down. I, I mean, I'll wake up and I'll think, oh, my God. I, sometimes I wake up and I think, oh, I just dreamt this amazing story. But then mm-hmm. I'll sit down to write it down. And, and you're like, this is crap. It seems stupid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It seems stupid. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I think that, right. you know, the subconscious is working through things for sure. But... They're not, at least in my experience, narrative. It's, well, it, it's it, just all unfiltered. It's funny you, know? you say that because what I've learned from that, because I've experienced the exact same sort of just realization where yeah. I, I come to terms with the fact as I'm writing it down that this actually isn't that interesting. Right. But oftentimes there's there's like a, an extension of what I thought was interesting right. where right. there might be some sort of kernel of truth within that that I can work with. So it's more I try to like, 
contextualize and internalize that maybe. Because... And then sometimes it's just you played tennis with Billy Joel and you're like, I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah, know? it's like that's that's must mean something. No, yeah. we got nothing here. Not <laughs> just take a shower close. and forget the dream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just move on. <laughs> Try again next night. You know, it's like yeah. it's not. But they take. do say I just finished this fascinating podcast um, with this sleep expert, this okay. neuroscientist who yeah. studies sleep, and he was saying that that what's happening when you dream is. You have so many things in your subconscious in terms of information you know that right. that is not just at your fingertips all yeah. the time. So I always give this example. Right. Like if I say the word Eiffel Tower, now the image of the Eiffel Tower just popped into your mind's eye. Where was it right before I said it? It was somewhere deep in the filing cabinet. Yeah, the database. And if I said, start writing down everything you know, like how long would it be till you write down, I know about the Eiffel Tower, you know? Right. When would it come up? So in, in dreams, like you said, there's no narrative, right? Our 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 sort of frontal lobes shut down as, as the logic of like past, present, future kind of goes away. But it's like your brain is working through, it's checking all the things it learned that day against all the things right. you already know yeah. and yeah. trying to like, make that cohesive well sometimes there like i find there's a pseudo narrative where i'm right. like oh this is happening and then this is happening and then all of a sudden you're just like playing tennis with billy joel and you're like wait a minute and there's a dragon and then you know but i i try to sometimes like tie it like bridge those gaps like as i'm dreaming even and it's just like no not even close yeah it's just yeah and then there's a dragon or you know a forest full of you know snake I hate zombies. Well, now hold on. So, based on the the Freudian notion of dreams as wish fulfillment, I feel like Joe, you you really want to play tennis with Billy Joel, and this is something that I mean, I want to work through. I want to. I don't. I don't know if I want to play Billy Joel in tennis so much as I want to beat him in tennis. Only only if I win do I want to play Billy Joel in tennis. Yeah. Yeah. I like. I don't want to lose to Billy Joel in tennis. I feel like that would be that, that wouldn't help me in any way. But I feel like if I could walk around in my life saying. You know what I did once? I beat Billy Joel in tennis. People would be like, that means nothing to They'd me. They'd be like, oh, he's probably <laughs> drunk or something. Well, oh, Billy so, Joel is definitely drunk if you're playing in tennis. I've got a Billy Joel tennis question. I'm allowed to ask questions, too. You're absolutely allowed. <clears throat> in fact, it's encouraged. So is there anything that you enjoy following only through listening to other people talk about it? Because I've realized that I only consume the NBA by listening to other people talk about the NBA. Oh, that's I never actually watch the NBA. And I really like reading David Foster Wallace's essays on tennis, but I hate watching tennis. That's I read, really I read a book, yeah. the, the Inner Game of Tennis by James Galloway. Okay. Um, a lot of musicians Why? read it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, cool. It's, it's about, like, how do you learn, how do you teach, right? I read yeah. it basically for teaching. It's like... Wow, that's cool. To, but, like, I would never sit down and just right. watch, like, hours of tennis. Yeah. Right. I mean, maybe I would. If no, I was dating someone who was really into tennis, I'm right. sure I could, like, get myself psyched up for it, but... Right. Otherwise. <laughs> Otherwise, you know. Unless, unless Billy Joel's coming to bat. Wait, yeah. That's not even the right pun. No. Okay, no. Yeah. no. I mean, he writes about tennis so beautifully and so convincingly and it's so interesting and then when i sit down to watch tennis even when i know the athletes to be transcendent someone like federer or yeah. Serena williams i'm like this does not interest well, me. well that's like have you ever tried to watch um what's the one cricket no it it's, takes forever right it takes like 10 days that, to play that, a game. that's the british one right yeah, it's like british yeah, baseball i tried yeah. watching i i youtubed 
I, right. I was really drunk one night, and okay. I was like, let me give it a try. That's what you do when you're really drunk. That, that one really uh, yeah. distinguishes <laughs> one night from another for you, Joe. Look, I, I, the, my, my, my expertise on cr- cricket is solid okay. because I was really drunk one night yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. And I, I YouTubed the most exciting cricket game ever to see what right. would come up. I'm like, let me just start with the peak yeah. cricket game. And... You could like, see- if I'm not sucked in by the peak cricket yeah, game, right. I'm not going to be sucked in. But you in. could see, like, the people playing, even the refs, you could tell right. were into it. Like, yeah, with their yeah. calls, they were, you yeah. know, they they had to make their, their judgment calls, but they were, you know, they were, like, honed in on what was happening. And it was just like... This is so dumb. Like, I, I just don't buy it. <laughs> well, you also didn't know the rules. Like, a lot of games, like, if you watch chess I, and I, you don't understand the rules, well, I, I, it's not going to be very I watched, fun. That's definitely true, but I, I did watch <laughs> that's a... That's certainly <laughs> true. <laughs> Especially chess. I did watch a brief tutorial video before, yeah. and uh, I was like, it's just, like, baseball, but, like, crooked. Like, you can just hit the ball anywhere. Which, like, they argue is what's better about it than baseball. Because <sighs> they're like, baseball's dumb. You have a triangle to, like, yeah. hit within. Like, it's only, right. like, 90 degrees right. of the field. And the games like, only take four hours, not ten days. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And it's like, uh, I'm good with, like, yeah. how Four that hours is. is still long, though. It's yeah. really it's, long. It's too long. I think it's yeah. why football's yeah. more popular than um, soccer. Oh, there's a lot of reasons. There's why. a lot of reasons, probably, but, but in America, so least, many people yeah. hate soccer here. You well, know? well, they hate. What's weird is that youth soccer is so popular here. It's it's more popular than, probably than youth football, even. But the problem is, I don't think soccer is like commercializable because football you have you have these set same thing with baseball. Baseball is meant for commercial breaks. You have every other every half inning you have a commercial break every time a pitcher new pitcher comes in you have a commercial break it's commercial gold yeah for uh, advertisers baseball is god's gift to television and radio oh yeah because there, there are those yeah. 18 breaks yeah 162 no games 162 games uh, as compared to football's 16 or whatever you know it's like it's a it's a it's just conducive to like american commercialism in terms yeah, of marketing uh, obviously yeah yeah but soccer it's like what do you have like I mean, comparatively, you, you really like, no can't breaks. pause it, and that's part of the point of soccer yeah. is like the endurance, like which know. is weird because hockey's like still pretty popular, but it's not as well. They programmed in like you know the timeouts and the stopping all you know. Yeah, constantly. but also hockey's awesome. Yeah, hockey's like, cool too. I mean, it's like lacrosse. I love I love those yeah. sports. It's like football with a weapon, you know, <laughs> more right. or less. Hey, shout out to the Stony Brook women's soccer team, ranked number one in the country. Really, yeah. really, I didn't wow. know. That. Mm-hmm. Congrats! Yeah. That's... I think that's true. I think. That's true. <laughs> Well, sure you know, Do, are there fact checkers on this program? Actually, uh, I, I, we, I asked Bianca if she wanted to be our Jamie tonight. That's like the fact checker on Joe Rogan's she podcast. She would be great at that because she would just be so like kindly. Go. She said Actually, no very quickly. <laughs> she was just not. <laughs> she's like, I have so many things I'd rather do. She with was my, like, What would that entail? I was like, You basically sit is. there in silence and and maybe once every yeah, but she could drink wine while minutes. she does, does it. That's what I said. Yeah, we would buy her wine. I think certain sporting plays are intuitively. Exciting. I'll give you two examples. When something really awesome happens in a football game, I'll bring in my wife, who is not typically somebody who watches football games, and I'll say, watch this. And about half the time, she at least smiles or nods and suggests that she also thought it was interesting. That was cool, right? Yeah, that was cool. And then the second thing is, I once saw Lenny Dykstra try to pick up a girl on Twitter by sending her a video of his home run. And I just nice. thought that was really cool. Like, did your wife really think cool. that was cool? I don't know that she saw it. Oh, I think okay. it's all there on the internet for anyone to see. Right. But I kind of get it. Like, you watch the home run, 
and even though it probably happened 30 years ago in his life, yeah. it is pretty exciting. Like, right. the ball goes over the wall, people cheer, he yeah. does a little victory lap. Most sports, I think, And have it's like that not too. the Little League yeah. version of doing that. That's like the, yeah. you know, the real deal. Yeah, this is a grown man who, this is his career, and he gets paid way more money than anything you will ever make times like 10. Hey! <laughs> Hate to break it to I you. I play trumpet! Yeah, well, good luck with that. <laughs> good luck getting that even home if, run Even money. if I somehow become the best trumpet player in the world, there's no way I'm making that amount no, of No, not even yeah. close. Yeah, that's the thing. You you should get better. Unless I hit a baseball home run with your trumpet. With my trumpet. Yeah, then you'll make money. Yeah, it'll be like $2,000 per destroying a trumpet, but I mean, you know, if I can repeatedly do that, that's pretty good. You're so, basically a circus I'll be Billy Joel in tennis with my trumpet. You might as well at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so who's like the Babe Ruth of trumpet? Is it like Miles Davis? Who, who's who's the who's the the most famous, most accomplished trumpeteer of all time? So I can definitely give you that answer from the classical okay. world of trumpet, okay. which is what I'm in. Okay. And that would be, I mean, of course, there are just like a bunch of names in the top ten. But I would say yeah. if you ask trumpet players, yeah. like, give me your right. go to, it would yeah. be Bud Herseth. Okay. Um, his full name is Adolf Herseth, but everybody called him Bud. Understandably. Yeah. He was the uh, yeah. principal trumpet decision. of the Chicago Symphony for <laughs> so long. He didn't okay. retire until he was like 80, I think, which is insane for playing trumpet. It's such a physical... Wow. He still had the lung capacity or whatever. Not only the lung capacity, but it's such a strain yeah, on your, your mouth, face. Right? And, and, yeah, your and lips and... The, the recovery, yeah. like every time you play, it, it takes a lot of recovery and all that. So it was pretty remarkable that he played to that okay. age. Uh, but certainly Miles Davis is like a, a, a dinner table name, let's say, right? Okay. Um, in the jazz world, you have, uh, well, I guess Miles would be the jazz jazz version, although there's plenty of others. But right now, alive mm. today, I would say my favorite trumpet sound might be mm-hmm. Chris Martin, who's the principal trumpet of New York Philharmonic. Oh, there you go. Um, he He came from Chicago, actually. He was the principal trumpet in Chicago Symphony. Yeah, and then came to New York. I think a year ago or two years ago, that which was, was a- like a shocking move because Chicago's regularly ranked like in the top few orchestras in the world. Wow, that was after. I mean, both quit- jobs are amazing, he- but that's, that was after you quit Coldplay, right? <laughs> yeah, different Chris Martin. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, there's two. <laughs> Well, that's unacceptable. He should probably change his name to Bud Martin. The Chris Martin from Christopher Martin. Or Adolf Martin. Adolf Martin. Buddy Martin. Buddy Martin. Yeah, Yeah, Buddy M. Yeah. Come on. Okay. Get with it. Um, Back to the the, the short story thing. I, like, you know, music has, like, okay, so if you're reading, like, a novel, right? Uh I've never done it. You know, like you said, you have to get into the whole world of the novel, right? It's like, you know, it it takes a lot of buy-in, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, I have a stack of books that I I'm always like, when am I going to start this? Right, like yeah. um, if I know I'm going to the beach every day for a few weeks in the summer, it's like I get an hour of reading a day. Cool. Okay. Uh, if I know I'm flying, yeah. Like okay, I'm 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 taking like yeah. six hours of flights here, six That's hours great. back. Mm-hmm. Great for a novel. But in my regular busy life, novels can be tricky. So there's moments within the novel yeah. that I'm like, holy shit, that's a fucking meaningful. Yeah. line right there yeah. sort of like listening to a Mahler symphony let's say right? yeah yeah there really are those hard moments to sit down and just sure. listen to a Mahler yeah. symphony uh for <laughs> multiple reasons yeah. but then um we'll once you the know the whole Mahler symphony you can sort of go back and and you know find on youtube the moment that you want to hear you know and in the context you're like it's more meaningful 
I love the short story because, like, last night I read, I, I had read, like, three or four of um, your short stories from this Flying to Chicago collection. And then I got home, like, earlier than I thought last night. It was, like, 11. I was like, hey, I want to read one more of these stories instead of watching Netflix. And it took me, like, 30 minutes. That's great. You know? Yeah. And, like, that's well, what that's, I love well, that's about one the short Netflix, story. But, you know, not bad. Um, so what I, what, what I think um, the short story... It's I mean, the new Netflix. I hear you. It's the new Netflix. Yeah. How do we bring short it's stories to be the new Netflix? Um, what I was going to say was, like... Unlike, you know, in a scientific thing or a philosophy thing where you, you want to take a concept and fucking, like, reduce it down and distill it and nail it down to say exactly what it is, in, like, a story, all you have to do is, like, gesture at it. And, like, just, like, like pointing at the thing, whatever that, you know, quality about being a human is, you, you gesture yeah. at it, and then the reader can be like, huh. And it's, like, one of those things that's so hard to, to reduce down anyways that... It's like through the the short story, you just get an essence, a sense, oh a, a, a yeah. feeling of, of... Try teaching it. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what the students say about it. You know, yeah. They read the story and they say, you know, I feel like this is better than watching Netflix. It's always the first thing they yeah. say. Yeah. And then the second thing, wow. they, then they just start talking about the essence of it. And yep. you're like, my work here is done. Yeah. You're like, well, that Take was Take it easy. from here, yeah. boys and girls. Did I get a raise for this? I, I think I nailed it. Yeah. If only, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I will say about, uh, in the tradition of not answering your question, not that there necessarily was a question. Right. Um, but nevertheless. But nevertheless. Question mark uh, there. That's a question yeah, mark. Um, yeah. You know, I certainly think there are novels that are like, you know, Mahler symphonies where mm. you just have to be in the right time in your life to sit down and read them. Like, yeah, if you read definitely. Thomas Pynchon when you're not ready, you're going to be like, this is garbage, this is nonsense, it doesn't make any sense. It's, Just like, right. it's like Mahler being sound waves, it doesn't connect. Yeah, I mean, I listened to Mahler, I don't know, scores of times before I felt anything. I was like, I don't get it, I don't get this right, guy. Yeah. You know? I, mean, it didn't, I, I felt that way about Beethoven. I didn't feel Beethoven symphonies for a long time. Um, whereas there are other, you know stories i read where they hit me immediately even when i was very young and, mm -hmm. and there are mm. you know pieces of music i listen to obviously this is true probably just about everybody where they hit you when when you're very young so yeah i mean stories oftentimes are more immediately um accessible um but it's definitely worth buying into some of those uh worlds that uh, the writers create because the achievement is just so extraordinary. I mean, sure. once yeah. you're in Flaubert's imagination, you know, you, you just think to yourself, well, this is the most magical thing that's ever happened to me. I mean, here I yeah. am. I'm in the 19th century. I'm in France. I'm, I'm, I'm there, yeah. I'm in the world of this genius. Every sentence. One of the one of the, the coolest things, Lydia Davis is cool in a million different ways. She's a very accomplished short story writer for the podcast listeners at home who might not be familiar with her. Uh, she writes these very, 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 very short stories. Sometimes only one sentence long. Oh, wow. But she uh, she also translates really long French novels. And she translated the first book of In Search of Lost Time. And she translated uh, Madame Bovary. 
And one of the cool things she did in her translation, Penguin let her do this, is she italicized. I think I'm getting this right. If I'm getting it wrong, I'm, I'm close. We've said so many wrong things on this podcast. Yeah. You have nothing yeah. to worry yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. Either, so, You're way ahead of the you curve. Know, I yeah. may be wrong about the women's yeah. lacrosse team ranking. And, you said soccer. And, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For the record. And, I think it is and, lacrosse, by I the way. I think it is yeah. lacrosse. Because soccer is not this season yet. I think it's women's lacrosse. That's what I meant. And, uh, but whatever. Also, Lydia Davis Lydia Davis <laughs> slash Penguin Random House is use of italics. Um, <laughs> but 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 uh, Flo Bear would italicize and and Davis preserve this the sentences or phrases or clauses that he felt like he'd taken from somewhere else and that he had to sort of use for the sake of um, keeping the novel going, but that nevertheless galled him because he just wanted oh, the whole thing yeah. to be this sort of fully formed, fully imagined. Uh, world that the, the the reader could buy into, and, you know, that's how concerned he was on the on the language level in a book right. that's you know I don't know seventy five eighty thousand words something like that. Wow. Yeah, it's like when you think to Brahms, who like there there's just so many works of Brahms that were burned in his fireplace. Oh my god! You know, and you just think, oh, yeah. he was a burner. Yeah, and wow. you know, probably they were great, right? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, you hear of pieces that the composer themselves, like Beethoven was famous for writing an E-flat and scribbling it out and writing an F and then scribbling that out and writing an E-flat again. You know, like, hmm. you could see this in his manuscripts, whereas Mozart was just this, you know, genius who just, just was like a machine that put out, you know, I don't mean to say that as if his music was emotionless or something like that, but... No, but it, he, he just was so in his, like, well, zone. Or... He, he was the type of guy that could just, like... You know, go to a concert, hear it, come home, play it on his keyboard, and write it down. You know, like, yeah. there was just a, a genius level, something else going on, I think. I mean, I think about yeah. Mozart a lot relative to writing, because Mozart did things at 12 that there's no analog to anything a writer has ever done at 12. Yeah. I mean, the, the best thing Mozart did at the age of 12 is so much better than the best thing any writer ever did at the age of 12. Well, like, I just the, don't understand Well, that's how. interesting. Are there any... Because it's funny you say that. I had a professor who, like, brought this point up when I was, I think, like, my freshman year. And he, he made that connection okay. about, uh, or that lack of connection yeah. about how, yeah, you have savants who compose music when they're, you yeah. know, before double-digit right. age. But, like, what... Savant writer is there who was writing great works at the age of twelve. I mean, John John Keats, John Keats's whole oeuvre was was finished before he was I don't know twenty four something like that, yeah. right? And and he wrote some of the most enduring poems in the English language, you know, when he was really young. Yeah, but he wasn't twelve, right? You yeah. know, he was twenty three. Yeah, I mean, twelve is outrageous. It's I I, I mean I think language is such a yeah, it's I such think a that's complex, a big factor. It's, is, is, yeah, it's such a complex tool, right? Words, of, of I think, expression. probably like come later, develop later than the grammar of music. And the it right words if like you're that, writing, right? yeah. Because yeah. the grammar of music, like, it, it, of course, it, it, it's, it can be infinitely complex, right, when you look at Bach or something. Yeah, but there's books I've seen, like, students in my classes have where it's, like, the mathematics of music. Sure, but you don't need to know about the mathematics to know, like, your your voice leading and harmony rules. Oh, no, and of course not. I was also going to say, when you look at the things Mozart wrote when he's young, you don't get anything close to a Mahler symphony. Right, You don't sure, get yeah. somebody, like, yeah. cutting to the core yeah. of what it means to be a human. Of that you get com really complexity, crafted, that emotional com yeah, complexity. Yeah, the emotional complexity yeah, is not necessarily You wouldn't there. have it at that point. Yeah. Mo Mozart yeah, how couldn't have written his Requiem when he was 12. Exactly. Yeah. 
And what what you get is like really. That tedious. would have been interesting if you tried. <laughs> that would have been really interesting. Yeah. It would have ended with like, and then I got my grilled cheese or something, you know. Because like, <laughs> Mozart was eating grilled cheese. Maybe he was. How do you know? Did they have grilled cheese? Where the fuck did he live? Uh, Austria, like Salzburg or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have cheese there. Yeah, yeah, they have cheese yeah. and bread. Come on, yeah. I'll yeah, take yeah. a Salzburg. Uh, I'll grill, take a Salzburg uh, yeah. grilled cheese. Yeah. A la Mozart. A la Mozart. <laughs> if we ever start a podcast grilled cheese place, we have mm-hmm. to have the Mozart. If we start a start a podcast grilled cheese place, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> By the way, I think I'm out on the grilled cheese. What oh, I mean? haven't had grilled cheese in like. I, I think it's overrated. Years. What do you, I I honestly I haven't had a grilled cheese in probably like a decade. Grilled cheese is having is a moment, and I think it's a bit much. It's I, having I, a moment now. I feel yeah. like really. I, yeah. I feel like I haven't had grilled cheese in so long, though. I should probably try it to see how it is. But right. it's just it's bread and cheese. Yeah, on a certain level, it's it's sort of like a poor you know stepchild of pizza. You know, pizza's got oh, yeah. tomato sauce like and that, toppings. Yeah. It's stuff, just without you know? the tomato. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it sounds more certainly not the for... healthiest thing as I we think know it would these work. days to have like just a bunch of carbs and cheese. But I think it would work as drunk food for sure. Oh, I mean, well, a lot of things. That's too. a different question than yeah. like. It's a much different question yeah. for yeah. sure. I might have to whip up some grilled cheeses for us later. I mean, I'm not opposed to that. <laughs> I'm out on them, but I will nevertheless eat them. I mean, I think later. if you had really because when I think grilled cheese, I think kind of just like. You know the the stereotypical like fake yellow cheese, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you like if you use really good cheese, it could probably be pretty good. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. Like so like, maybe, and you could probably add other things. Like you could probably add like sautéed onions and sure, stuff sure. and caramelized. Yeah, but it, yeah. so I have another controversial opinion on this subject. <laughs> I think the uh, the bacon egg and cheese, yeah. which I will absolutely support. Yeah, I think it's better without the cheese. Uh, I, th- I think the cheese diminishes. Kind of cheese? Well, I don't think it matters. You're talking, I think the you're cheese talking about, diminishes the flavor. But you're talking about going to like a deli. Yeah. And because a, they usually yeah. get very, very greasy. Like yeah, the cheddar like, cheese is just spilling everywhere. It's, it's like, crap cheese. It's it's like. Your 30, hands the whole day no, are it's just like, oozing it's like 30, cheese It's like 37% grease. cheese and like 40% yellow. And I don't know where the rest of the percent the, went. The bacon and the egg and the whole wheat bagel, is that's all you need. A little bit of pepper, that's all you need. Everything else is extra. Pepper is, much, un- really. pepper is underrated on those kinds of sandwiches. I, feel like. I had I, yeah. I haven't had an, an egg sandwich on a bagel in years. But you live in New York. Here's the thing: I've had two really bad experiences. Okay. One was um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. One was like a Let's talk a, through this. <laughs> yeah, Luke, we're here for you. Well, you know, like if you have like great vodka when you're 18, and then you throw up everywhere. You never want grape vodka the whole rest of oh, your life. I thought you said great. You said grape vodka. Grape vodka. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, like the smell of that would just trigger you. To oh be yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I had like an egg Carb. sandwich, and it it kind of had a weird smell going in. <laughs> yeah, that should have been your first indication. <laughs> but I didn't do anything about it. I just ate it. Yeah. I go to Carb. school. I had a, a lesson that day, so it's like I'm playing trumpet and a one-on-one lesson, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, hmm. Oh, hmm. yeah. And it was like one of those, like, yeah. I could throw up, I could fart, it could be accompanied <laughs> by poop. I don't know. <laughs> That's we, got, we got from Mahler to fart in a hurry, I have to say. <laughs> no, this <laughs> is how fast this turns, though. Like, it, this is, okay. yeah, this is what happened. Uh, I like that there's a second story. That, 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 oh, no, that's one true. of two. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so would you wind up? Uh, I made it through the lesson, and then, right. like, it wasn't pretty after that, but, you know. <laughs> Right. We we survived. Yeah, but yeah. for some reason it just left a memory. What's in pretty? On to the sequel. The next yeah, how was, time, how was episode two? The next time I worked up the courage to go get a breakfast sandwich at a, a bagel place, um, 
you guys might know what I'm talking about. I won't na- say the name of the place, yeah. but there's a bagel place um, somewhat close to Stony Brook University okay. that um, you could argue might be a front for some kind of mafia kind of huh. you know, vibe. That could be any bagel place anywhere. I accidentally stole two breakfast sandwiches from them, so I'm scared to go back. Okay. That's the that's the bad experience? Whom did you steal the breakfast sandwiches from? Wait, did you just forget to pay? Yeah. <laughs> and then wow. and then I was with my girlfriend at the time and um the lady asked me as I went to get the sandwiches, like, Oh, did you pay? I was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, you know? I should try this. This is great to know. Not on purpose. I thought she paid for him, right? And then like whatever, she was like, Oh, how how much did it come to? Like I'll give you you know, half of and the you're like, price. I was I like, didn't pay for them. I didn't pay for them. And she's like, well, I didn't pay for them. I'm like, uh oh. And then like there was that like like ten seconds where I had the chance to be like, actually. Wait, let me ask you this though. How was the sandwich? It was good. Yeah, because you tasted guilt. <laughs> Is this why you broke up? <laughs> no, uh, it, it was not. It was it, not. It the, doesn't help. Here, it, here's a, here's a trick though that I've been doing for years now, which uh, people always say butter or cream cheese. Wrong question. I make my own. Garlic toast bagels. Okay. Oh, I know that. I know that trick. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You take the bagel, slice it in half. Yeah. Dip it in olive oil. Okay. Toast that up a little yeah. bit. Add garlic, oregano, salt, pepper. Wow. This is giving me flashbacks to our drunk tank where we just talked about how to make popcorn for like thirty minutes. Hey, it happens. <laughs> you know, we we may get there, but it's it's better for you than butter or cream cheese. Sure. It's delicious. Sure. And yeah, it's uh, what more do you? I mean, it's a little more prep time, but. You know. You've got to be careful with the garlic as your morning meal, though. No, no, I'm all in on garlic. I'm I, all in I, on I garlic. I garlic, like, yeah. hard. And yeah. so garlic, there's a few things that you can do with garlic to mitigate being too garlicky. Mm. Um, when you roast it, I always put the... I toast... I don't over-roast it, because I f- feel like that makes it a little, like, more... I like, like, a little burnt edge to the garlic. You don't want you know? it over, over-roasted, over and you don't want it under-roasted. Yeah. So I put it, like, halfway through the toasting process... And then I cover it with the oregano and the other spices so it doesn't get too burnt. And that's like a good medium where, like, you don't wind up too garlic. You know, the, the garlic isn't an issue at that point. Just pop a Tic Tac, you're good. I see. Yeah, always have a Tic Tac. <laughs> shit in the mint, you're good to go. Yeah, As, shit, uh, what's shit his name mint. from uh, the league says? Uh, Rafi? Is that his, 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 his thing? Oh, is like when drunk he's drunk at a party, yeah. he's, uh, he's like getting yeah. wasted, but he was supposed to be the DD, designated yeah. driver. Yeah. And they're like, Rafi, what the hell are you doing? You're supposed to be like sober. Yeah. You're driving us around. He goes, I'll be fine. He goes, let me know about 20 minutes before you want to leave. I'll pop into the bathroom, take a shit, pop in a mint, good to go. Yeah. And they're like, that's not how that works. He goes, oh, no, no, no. The guy says, <laughs> shit in a mint. and does that work? He goes, sort of. As if, like, yeah, it sort of works. I stopped yeah. drinking for 20 minutes. I did poop, which did something. When I popped in a mint, that did something. It sort of works. You could say it sort of These works. These are all sentences. Yeah, I said words. Yeah. Like. So you had the TED Talk and the Beethoven Violin Concerto all ready to go. Yeah. But the scene from The League didn't bother to pull that one out. Yeah. Well, we need that. We need our assistant. It, Donate it, on Patreon. We'll, we'll pay for an assistant to be here with YouTube just, like, queuing everything still, up. You know, I got to say, I'm a little disappointed in our fans because we still have nobody who subscribed to the $100 an episode subscription. I know. And you get bonuses for that, believe what you is, me. What was the bonus? We made some promises last episode that I'm not proud of. Even the $5 one, I'll I'll sing a, a poem. To, not sing. I'll, oh, no, he, uh, he said it. So <laughs> I'll say a poem to you in Turkish. He'll say a poem for you in Turkish. A love poem to you in Turkish. But not the two. One, He'll lick his lips while he one. does it too. Speaking of Mahler, uh huh. Um, <laughs> there are moments of Mahler's music that maybe I haven't heard 
whatever. The, 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 my point is, like, when I hear music of Mahler, almost immediately I go, aha, that's Mahler. Right. Mm. More than, say, Mozart, right? Okay. Although I could very easily pick out Mozart, I right. might confuse it with Haydn. Right. That's or interesting. Or any number of other composers from that sure. time period. Um, and, and that's kind of true, like Beethoven and Brahms, you might confuse, depending, I mean, there's right. some obvious ones. So that, that made me think of, like, voice in music, like, composers develop a voice. Like, how do you think about, like, voice and writing? Well, I mean, so what you, mm. you, you brought up Saunders earlier. I mean, nobody is ever confused that they're reading a George Saunders story, just because right. his... Um, his actual syntax is so different. It's it's choppy and it's deliberately choppy and circuitous and even a little ugly, um, so as to capture the cadences that I guess that he feels like he heard when he was growing up in the Midwest and that mm. he's heard in upstate New York when he's been in Syracuse for all these years. Um, for me, the number one example of this that I admire the most is. Um, is Dennis Johnson. You read his short stories and you're like, there is no voice as lyric and penetrating as that voice. Uh-huh. That That's the, the best example of it. And then there are other writers like um, Chekhov, whom I mentioned earlier. And I've read Chekhov in a lot of different translations, though never in the Russian, because I don't know how to do that. <laughs> but it's, it's yeah. plain. Oh, the second half of this podcast is in Russian. Well, I I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. But it's a plain style. You know, I mean, the, it isn't mm. really voice-driven at all. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, it's, it's insightful and it's moving, but it's not about um, the style. It, it's, it's not about the arrangement of words in the way that it is for, um, for so many other writers. And... Um, and for music, I feel that way about um, about Schubert. Every time I hear a Schubert impromptu or a sonata, I'm like, "Yep, that's Schubert." Have you ever heard mm. his like um, Winterreise or like the song cycles? Yeah, but you know what? I know that Schubert's so famous for the, the what, what's the word in German? The leader is yeah, that right? Lead, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't like, and I know this puts me somewhat in the minority, I don't like his music paired with a voice as much as I know a lot of people do. I know that, who's that guy, Ian Bostrom or whatever is... Bostridge? Yeah, Bostridge, yeah. right. Um, Who, by the way, was a philosopher before Super interesting guy. Yeah, singer, super, yeah, super interesting guy, yeah. For me, um, yeah, for me the music is, is more affecting when it's not paired with voice, and one of the things that I like about Schubert so much is he has all those sonatas and impromptus that are like short stories. They're not symphonies. Mm. They're they're not novelistic. You know, yeah. they they take five minutes, and they feel like they're so self-contained. Yeah, they feel like a moment. Um, and I, and, you know, obviously, any number of other you know composers did stuff like that. Obviously, Beethoven has a million sonatas, um, but I like Schubert's better. I find mm-hmm. they speak to me more than than other composers. I think maybe because his symphonies aren't as accomplished as some of the other composers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he had like a voice for for things not necessary. I mean, his like you know, if I if I if you ask me, what's my favorite symphonic composer? First name is Mahler that pops in my yeah. head. Next, um, probably Brahms. Okay. There's just something so. Um, Brahms, Brahmsian about Bromsy, it. Yeah. <laughs> Bromsy, yeah, Brahms esque. Um, even Joe, like I've gotten you pretty into Mahler, right? Oh yeah, but you definitely have not heard all Mahler. No, and not nearly enough. Yeah, 
even to an untrained musical ear, I think they could pick out Mahler. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's very dis- it, it's yeah. distinct in its like almost epicness. Yeah, it's big. Yeah. Right? It's big yeah. music. Oh, it's sure. it, it's huge. Like it really like you you feel it blooming as you listen to it. It's really um, one thing something else. Uh, so I was watching a, a trumpet interview the other day with this guy Chris Martin actually and um he Bud was Martin. he was at the archives okay. of the New York Phil and yeah. Leonard Bernstein was uh, the conductor there for quite a while yeah. and um so his score of Mahler 5 which is a very famous trumpet uh you know uh, it opens with a trumpet solo it's a funeral march is that the one with the insane ending um or is that two? Is that supposed to narrow down <laughs> Mahler symphonies? Touche. Two is is the epic ending that we always watch drunk at night. Oh yeah, and we um, we like trip on it. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So this is what Bernstein wrote on the cover of this score for Mahler Five. He said, um, "Like rocking a corpse to sleep." <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Fuck, damn!" Yeah. Like, and and that's some poetry, he, dude. That's, I, I that's think beautiful. I think t- you you hear this from a lot of conductors that like really try their game at interpreting Mahler that like it disturbs them you know it's like you got to dive into a dark place it would be like yeah if you were going into the Saunders world too heavily you know you know and I would say that's cool I think there are a lot of writers who can't bring themselves to that place and I get it and and there are any number of writers I can think of who would be better if they could yeah Um, sure but but that that's a lot to ask of someone I mean to to you know, really give yourself over to that could definitely, without risking hyperbole, ruin your life. Sure. You know, if you were really to commit yourself to to something. Um, so I get why certain writers don't. But you, but you know, the flip side of that is, I can think of any number of writers, particularly in the short story, um, who are masterful technicians. Um, but they just kind of skate along the surface, mm. and, yeah. you, and you don't really, you don't really get too deep. They don't scratch deep enough that make you make that sound that I was talking about before, where you go. Mm. It's still like, pl- pleasant. Yeah, it's still enjoyable. Yeah. Sure. But, you, it, but would, it's would you easily say that, forgettable. Would you say that's the difference then between somebody who you look at or you read and you say, "Well, that's that's a great author," and somebody else who you're just like, "Yeah, that that kind of tickles my." You know, well, for, you know, for yeah. me, if, tickles the, my pickle if the sentence of a writing is good, yeah, I, I'll stick around forever. I'll, I'll actually wait well, on well, writers. That, well, that's what mm-hmm. will carry you through. Right? Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. wait on writers. I'll, I'll read sure. a, a writer whose sentence level yeah. writing, to my mind, is extraordinary, and I'll say, "Well, I'm just yeah. going to read all your books until you die or give up because yeah. your sentences are that good." Yeah. Um, like technically, you mean? Even if they, they're, they're they, not, or they, just like interest, like uh, that happened yeah, to me with. Just interesting. That happened yeah. to me with like Tom Robbins, where sure. I was just like, I've never read a boring Tom Robbins sentence. Well, it, even, it just doesn't happen. You know, I mean, it happens in genre fiction sometimes. Yeah. I mean, like you know, someone like Raymond Chandler, he, he he's not deep on anything. You know, Raymond Chandler is not trying to uh, dive into the depths of anybody's soul, but the sentences are. Um, clean and interesting and surprising um and it transcends pure uh, entertainment not that there's anything so yeah. bad about that there is there is a little bit more kick to it um but there's no real like um depth to it and so i would say the sense of writing for me i will stick around for a long time sure. yeah. um but then the writer who actually um moves me um uh, and stays with me 
you know, there's th- that's a sort of alchemy that's hard to put your finger on. It doesn't happen on the sentence level. It, it's it, it, yeah. it happens in the sort of slow accumulation of things, and and it would be a very difficult thing to say how you know, you could map it out. And I've tried to map it out in different classes and say, well, you know, first he does this, and then he does yeah. that, and then he does that. But, but it's still, it's like the sum doesn't account. No, yeah. not yeah. at all. It's you not can't a perfect compartmentalize all, yeah. it. Yeah, it just, and and I think that for that reason, you oftentimes have to. Um, read novels i think within a week or two to really get lost that's them. that's why i was yeah. saying before that it can be tricky when i'm busy yeah. like the short story is perfect for me yeah um on the that story s- ideally in one sitting that's what that's what poe said you read a story totally. in one yeah. sitting totally and that's why i actually like teaching short story uh-huh. over novel especially because i mean on a realistic practical level it's like i remember back to undergrad of course i had so much going on a lot of demands on their time yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's it's like to, to have somebody put in the concentration that you need like you say over the course of like a week and a half two weeks like realistically it's it i mean some of them will take advantage of it and they'll they'll get a lot out of it but when you look over the span of a whole class it's kind of like yeah it, it doesn't yeah. always happen i mean think about that you're, you're taking five or six classes yeah. and probably each of your instructors think that they're the most important person in your life yeah well and, as they should that's what they get paid for and then you and then maybe you're trying to, to pick up a girl and then you're living on your own for the right. first time in your life i mean right. there's a figuring, lot going figuring on. out how to do laundry maybe you're where work, do you get quarters maybe you're working yeah. too i mean there's a lot going yeah. on like oh shit i forgot to shower this morning like yeah, <laughs> yeah i still have pajamas on yeah i mean half class. the kids i see around campus that are like undergrads <clears throat> First off, the one thing I noticed as I got to my later 20s is, like, college kids look like kids. Oh, big time. You know? Yeah, for and sure. It's it's just kind of confusing because, like, I teach a few kids that are in college, and um, I've had a few, you know, older high school students that are auditioning for college and yeah. things like that. And I always used to, you know, think back to when I was in middle school, and you would see the high school kids, and they look like giant monkeys, yeah. you know? yeah, and, yeah. Right. And then, like, it's just the perspective is so... Yeah. I see 18 as, like, like... I mean, I think back to myself when I was 18. I'm like, Jesus, oh, I, even, I was a fucking idiot. Yeah, I didn't you even know? know I was alive, basically. Yeah. Well, I think back, like, three years, I'm like, whoa, three well, years ago, Luke was a fucking idiot, yeah. you know? Like, and what's funny, too, is I noticed from... Because I have a lot of freshmen in my writing classes, and from, like, the start of... Even the start of fall semester to the end of it, they're, like, weathered by the end. Like, they they get older, you see them actually, just because like Obama's hair turning gray. Exactly, yeah. they they have their uh, hair, their proverbial hairs turn gray, be, just because like they have to do all this real life stuff. They're experiencing so much yeah. so fast. I mean, yeah. that's how it was for me too. I remember sure. being in college and feeling like I was so much more worldly when I was nineteen than when I was eighteen, and I and I <laughs> right. wasn't, but I certainly felt that way because I was exposed to all. Well, these maybe comparatively, things. right? That's one of the tricky things that you have to like. Yeah. You feel. Like when you start to get more knowledge and worldliness, it can easily take over your ego a little bit too. Oh, totally. And that's one of the things that, like, going through your mid twenties, I think fixes if you if you do it yeah. in a good way. What? Like you, you curb that yeah. with like what I learned from most of my education. I learned how much I don't know. You know, yeah, like sure. oh, like I learned that you could devote your whole life to music history. I learned you could yeah. devote your whole life to studying Well, that's a thing harmony, that you can you know? do, right? And it's like, oh, I, I didn't realize yeah. that. Like, so I didn't like realize you that scratch the surface as of these people things, actually doing it, yeah. And then you got to decide where am I going to yeah. go all in on, you know? Yeah. 
I just want to point out for the listeners at home that this podcast studio is an exercise in arrested development of somebody who decided not to move forward with his life. <laughs> I would I I describe to you what I'm looking at right now. I wouldn't know anything about that. Uh, we should we should plug in the the backlight. Oh yeah, so um, Joe that, that has a map of uh, what do you call the Game of Thrones? Uh, it's called Westeros. Westeros, dude. yeah. Get I'm with not the it. biggest Game of Thrones fan. Clearly not. Uh, but I also got, have a forest. We've got the Lego Star Wars. He's got multiple Lego things. Yeah, I also have a robot. Beer mirrors. A bow. We've got like a leg. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on here. A pig yeah. calendar. So, Joe, what are Babe you doing calendar. with your life, huh? <laughs> Look around you. <laughs> I mean, we've got Pumpkin Man. You've seen that in a few of our posts. Yeah. What do you What do you want? He holds here, our dude? beer sometimes. Yeah. That's um, hilarious. Yeah, the Grateful Dead poster. No, uh-huh. we're we're kicking it. You know, you know there's a Mahler quote where he says, um, "If I could say what I had to say in words, I wouldn't bother trying to say it in music." Woody, I hate. <laughs> come on, he's that good, and he's just gonna be I like, mean, "Yeah, wrote, he wrote, come on, Gustav." Yeah, come on, te- dude. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of funny because he wrote the text for a lot of his songs. Did he really? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, bullshit. Like I said, you you used the word lyric before. Mm, yeah, and I've I've heard the word lyrical, um, sure, used for poetry especially. Right. Now it's it's a word that gets used in the music world all the time. Every audition you take, it says, "Please prepare two technical pieces and two lyrical pieces." Right. That's so funny. a technical yeah. piece. Yeah. And you think to technique with words and yeah. a technical piece in music is something that shows off you know your skill set. Right. You move around the instrument from high mm. to low. Do you have an even sound? You yeah. know, can you can you um, right. tongue fast? Can you um, can you tongue fast? Well, on trumpet, you know, okay. on, well, if it's a violin, it's I'm not going. judging. I'm just asking. Or quickly, <laughs> quickly, yeah. yeah, quickly might be better. Yeah, <laughs> it's more sustainable. When I was in undergrad, um, I I was lucky enough to like like uh, have a lot of older like these guys were wow, there. Wow, where like, is this one going? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just I'm I'm sitting back with my beer. Okay. Yeah, how did, how did the older men treat you? <laughs> All right, I'm going to abandon that story. And, um, Fair so enough. in in an audition you have like technical things and then lyrical things. And lyrical things yeah. are are you know usually flowing yeah. yeah, singing um, right. in music you always see this phrase cantabile written in the music it means right. in a singing style. Right. And um, it's just funny that this word lyrical came from words first and well, then got adopted. Funny. Yeah, I mean, un- unfortunately, world. when it comes to writing, prose is in certain contexts, many contexts, contexts synonymous with a quick sidebar. Uh, Joe has a Game Boy, which I just discovered. Oh, that's an original Game Boy. Original Game Boy, yeah. 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 But anyhow, prose uh, is synonymous with something that's uh, slow and plodding and... Um, uh, not particularly interesting, um, and in many contexts, lyric is uh, has connotations um, of something that's poetic and beautiful, mm. and uh, you know, sort of light and moving. Um, so, you know, it, w- when you study writing and you talk about writing, uh, writers are forever talking about their craft. You would think it was a bunch of. Um, like metal workers or something. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that that happened organically over time so as to emphasize that the writers were putting in the work, that this wasn't just this sort of ethereal happen, that ethereal thing right. that like happened. It's not something you're born with. Yeah, it and, that you know. somebody well, clearly was not, right? struck with, struck by a moment and sat yeah. down and dashed off something. You know, that, that, that writers really wanted to emphasize that they were, they were putting... Well, there is a craft 
to it. Yeah, that they were putting time and hard yeah. work into it. If you talk to any you know writing instructor, that person will probably tell you the number one thing you have to do is read a lot, and the number two thing you have to do is spend a lot of time every day working at it. Yeah, I would uh, I would even characterize it as like failing at it, right? Yeah, like figuring sure. Out what, what doesn't work. So there's this weird tension forever in writing workshops between thinking about it like metallurgy mm. and thinking about it like something beautiful you're creating. Sure. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, and yeah, writers totally. are just very comfortable you know, having both of those things in the same room. Yeah. yeah. I think it's the same with musicians, right? You play, for us, it's not a writing workshop, it's a master class, right? Yeah. And um, you play a piece, and, you know, there's there's a number of approaches they could coach you on, right? right. They could say, what concept are you thinking of? What character is the music? They could say, you know, if you're playing Mahler 5, right? They could say, are you rocking that corpse to sleep, right? Or they could say... Um, I uh, encourage you to breathe like this. Keep the tongue forward. Keep the the mouth very you know, and the, yeah. and, mm. and try to help you craft right. the sound right. to be right. even and in tune. On Careful about being level. sharp on right. that note. Pull out the trigger for this note. Yet at the same time, you're playing fucking Mahler, right? Yeah. So it's like you have to. You cannot be expressive in music without technique. Right. But I think that's exactly true of writing. Yeah, yeah. It's funny too that you say that because I I actually just had some conferences with students today and. One of the one of the creative works I did this semester was actually called Lyrical Essay. And it basically, I mean, there's so many different examples of what that means and how that actually translates to like different types of works. I mean it's a it's a pretty broad category, but for those students, my point was to basically like break free of those genre conventions sort of. Yeah. And just like think about like, well, you know, you don't have to have a five sentence paragraph in in even a fictional story you can have a one word paragraph or a one sentence paragraph or you know what, yeah. whatever if you really ask like well what is it that you want to emphasize in terms of that tone or that mood or you know whatever idea or feeling that you're trying to get to and it, it, it's actually really cool because when you explain it to them that way and you see how they choose to break because they Especially more technically minded students, like a lot of our students, uh, they're they're more you know science uh, minded. But to see them like think about that, and my point that I emphasize to them is that, well, I can't tell you where to do that. Yeah. You you have to decide. Well, what yeah. is that point that you want to emphasize, and how you choose to break that down? You may choose to elaborate different ideas or different sentences, different you know um, points throughout the story. But it really gets them thinking outside of that 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 box so to me like it, it, it's been like an interest because it's the first semester i really taught it and it's been like a really interesting exercise for that reason to really have them you know try to assess like well what are the just different effects of doing that in different ways because it's like there isn't just like one right way to do it right yeah. and it's like that doesn't mean that there's not a craft to it still because you can see the effect by breaking it down in these different ways so there's, I, I think there's something really to be said for that in terms of like what effect that actually elicits. And the truth is, you can fail, and and any number of people do in of either course. in either direction, right? I mean, yeah. you can be the student, and and we've all had these students who says, "I don't need structure. What I'm doing transcends structure. This is just pure <laughs> feeling, right?" That yeah. student's gonna go down in flames. Porridge. Yeah. It's like oatmeal. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. then there's the yeah. student. This happens mm -hmm. less frequently, but it does happen, particularly at the graduate level. The student who is technically proficient is masterful on the sentence, even the paragraph level, but there's no heartbeat. 
and you mm. read the prose, yeah, and, yeah. You, and there's no life to it. And I was that yeah. student. I was that student at grad school for a time. I was Which is so, almost worse to me. Sometimes it's almost yeah. worse. I was so right. sensitive to what the writers I yeah. admired were doing that I was essentially just trying to mimic them. And I, it took an instructor to to sort of pull me aside and say. This isn't you. I mean, you're, sure. you, this is just yeah. mimicry, you know? I mean, mimicry, like we use that in music all the time. It, it can be helpful, right? You hear somebody's sound and you try sure. to mimic that. Sure. But only if it's serving the larger goal of I'm using this as a pathway to find my own voice. Right. Yeah. Sure. But um, that that's a hard thing to teach somebody. Well, you almost wow. can't yeah. teach I mean, it. Yeah. There's a there's a book that you use in the in the trumpet pedagogy. It's it's the Arben book. He was a famous French trumpet player and teacher. And at the end of the book, um, there are a bunch of these sort of etudes. Um, mm. But they're not... I mean, etude almost makes it sound dry, like it's a study, right? Yeah. But they're they're very musical. And he right. says, we've reached the point in this book where the, where the word won't carry any more weight, where huh. um, I can't really tell you what it is you need to find. You must find it yourself, you know? Um I think, you know, everything you guys are saying about um, the balance between technical and lyrical, yeah. between feeling and structure, right? Yeah. It's like a duality. It's like a yin-yang type thing. Um, you see these players in music all the time that are just technically perfect. Yeah. Right? You're almost pissed off when you go hear them play. Yeah. You're like, fuck you. How yeah. are you this good at yeah. your instrument? Yeah. Right? And how are you not using it for good? You know, right? Like, yeah, using yeah. your power. It's funny, actually. My my grading rubric, mm. the way it breaks down is that I, I have four categories. It's like uh, it's basically like clarity of content, mm. grammar and punctuation, form and style, and then overall effectiveness. So the, the two on the outside are more like content, and the okay. two in the middle are more technical. Right. And the two in the middle, the grammar and punctuation and the form and style, I actually like weight less than the others right. in terms of content and effectiveness because I like I, you read enough essays and you realize that well as a reader what am I really interested in and I'm much more interested in the originality and the freshness of and the thoroughness of thought than I am if you have a few grammar or punctuation errors like that takes yeah. me out of it much you know what that less. makes me think of uh, there's there I remember reading something from the Vienna Philharmonic that it, it said something to the effect of they were suspicious of any audition that was perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, That, that yeah. checks out. It's yeah. like, how safe were you playing yeah. it? How much were you um, trying to win the audition and not right. be an artist? You know? Right, yeah. And it's like, that's what makes it interesting, right? That's what makes sure. it unique. Like, also, I, it's it's all about expressing humanity. And yeah. humans are far from perfect, obviously, right? Well, if you mimic something exactly, like is like that's an accomplishment, but is that unique? Is that interesting? Yeah. I like, mean, it could be something you do on your own time, right? Like, yeah, if, if you could sure. somehow capture the same type of voice as a Vonnegut, right? You know, then... Oh, I'll take it. Yeah. Good no, luck with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, but I'm saying, I accept like, that you would learn power. something yeah. about writing, right? If I yeah, could sound I like Chris Martin on trumpet, yeah. I've fucking figured something out about the technique of sure, how trumpet yeah, works. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but do I want to play the Haydn trumpet concerto exactly with every move he does? Right. Or do I want to yeah. kind of interpret it myself with the new skills I've acquired, you know? Right, yeah. So I've had one thought and one question. First, the etudes made me think of Chopin, and I just want to put in a plug for a writer who never found the audience they deserved. Uh, Stuart Dybeck uh, wrote an amazing story called Chopin in Winter where the protagonist of the story is uh, hanging out with his old Polish grandfather, and his grandfather's teaching him about Chopin based on playing him 
or making him listen to various pieces of music. And Stuart Dybeck's first two collections of stories, um, Coast of Chicago, is probably actually the one that I would recommend. Really excellent stuff. Never really totally found an audience, but but great, great writer. Sometimes those are the best, right? Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. A writer's sure. writer, as they say. Yeah. And uh, then a question, you know, someone who's de- often described as, you know, being really um, mathematical, somebody like Bach, say, when you listen to his, you know, let's say um, Goldberg variations or uh, well-tempered clavier, do those sound to you like exercises, or do those sound to you like emotional experiences you can engage with? Both. Okay. So I would say Bach in the, in the in the scheme of music, right? Like. Um, as 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 people were discovering chromaticism and and that you could you could be in all these different keys and change keys and, yeah. and imagine just playing in every key at once it's just right. insanity right yeah um, Bach found this sort of amazing middle ground of like of um, I'm going places like I, I would say the middle ground is just structure and expressive expressivity like. For a musician to be totally expressive, like just one hundred percent expressive, would just be like going on stage and screaming, you know? Right. Just like, and you you have no bow technique if you're a violinist. You have no yeah. embouchure if you're a trumpet player. So, right. so there's always that balance. And I think when I listen to Bach, um, I guess I could answer your question by saying when I was younger, Bach sounded more like an etude, more like a dry study. Very. Yeah. Very much like um, a meal that gets your nutrition in, but doesn't yeah. make you green vegetables. Yeah, <laughs> right. They get the job done. Mm-hmm. Sort of like unseasoned green vegetables, right? Yeah. Don't don't put them in a grilled cheese. <laughs> you won't be happy. Whereas um, I, you know, what I've been focusing my time on lately is is Baroque music and studying Baroque trumpet, which by definition means I'm playing mostly Bach, and I'm studying like he has those horn concertos and stuff, right? Well, I mean. Um, you know his B minor mass is probably my favorite piece of music oh, right now. Yeah, um, yeah. The trumpet parts in that are close to impossible, um, but they're they're just amazing. Um, I, I should rephrase that: the first trumpet part is close to impossible. The other two are very reasonable, <laughs> hard but reasonable. Um, when you listen to his cantatas, though, mm. and this is what I've been doing is 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 reading up on, you know, what was life like in Leipzig in. You know, seventeenth thirty. Yeah, yeah. What's, what's the context um, like? What's the when they culture? use the word yeah. God? Uh-huh. What does that mean to somebody mm-hmm. who lost four of their six children? You know, yeah. yeah what a, does that mean to somebody who doesn't? Don't worry, know? He, had, he had thirty more or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's what they thought. You know, like well, that, that was, yeah, part, that was of a big part of it. Yeah. It's yeah. like, of course, you keep having kids. Oh, look, the wife died. I get remarried in six months. You know, right. like. You know, right. that was just, like, how things rolled, I guess. Thank but, God I'm going to die and go play bocce with Jesus in heaven. Well, so that's the thing. Sorry, it's like cricket. um I try to think, like, you know, what is is someone like Bach's, like, idea of God, right? Yeah. And, and so, like, these cantatas he wrote, of course, sometimes they had more, t- a bigger time scale, but it's like every Sunday at church was a new Bach cantata, you know? Mm. And it's like... That's like a new Netflix episode every week. That's tough to do. And you yeah. don't have, like, the summer to, like... I mean, of course, like I said, you can you can borrow things, you can whatever. Yeah. But there was this sense of, like, um, it's all or nothing, you know? Yeah. And, and for the people that are coming to church, it's not like, oh, like, 
Uh, so I was reading the 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 one about um, the the last prophet of. Uh, uh, oh, uh, Wyakonda. Wyakonda. Okay. From your, from yeah. Your short story I think collection. that was. I think that was my favorite one too. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, like so, uh, you know, just I. I'm always fascinated by the topic of religion, and yeah. and I think Bach um, was part of my. I was like just like a very aggressively active atheist. I think in right. my lower twenties. Yeah, you were and a real. As dick. I, yeah, I, <laughs> AKA Dick. Yeah. <laughs> it was so yeah. annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Like even with the skeptic thing, right? Like yeah. if somebody was yeah, like, sure. "Oh, the weirdest thing happened," to yeah. me, I was like, "It wasn't weird. Very explainable." So yeah. you're saying that you don't believe in ghosts? <laughs> yeah. It's like, wait, what? Yeah, uh, but like it, it, listening to Bach and just like kind of trying to like, you know, s- imagine being a person in like Leipzig and, yeah. and yeah. it's like, yeah. you know, how much knowledge do we know? I mean, I know there's so much mystery in the universe, but we know about the Big Bang, right? We 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 know that. You know, we have satellites, we have cell phones. We yeah. there's just so much to know. Well, we have these concepts that, like, we also extrapolate. Like, they're tied into these like real life things that we have, like satellites, for yeah. example. It's like, oh, the same people who claim the Big Bang also build satellites. Sure. Well, we know satellites work. So, and, like Einstein's equations are what make GPS work, right? The 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 um. The slightly well, that's uh, just fake news, the, the distance on. from Earth's center of gravity, right, is a calculable thing that actually do, do changes. Know, do you know the, the calculation? Clock. Could you tell me the? Calculation? I can tell you roughly. So yeah, okay, go. Let's say a satellite's traveling at like twenty thousand miles per hour around the Earth in orbit. You're assuming that's, that the world is round, but go on. That speed is slowing down the clocks on board the satellite, but it's also farther from Earth's center of gravity, so that's actually speeding up the Are time. Are they analog you, clocks or it digital? It doesn't clocks? quite balance, but if you don't plug in the equation for Einstein to like alter how the time yeah. changes, you're off by ten miles within one day on GPS systems. It's that much, yeah. really? Wow. So it's like, you know, science has been robust enough to give most of us a sense of like, eh, I don't have to think about God, right? So I just think at the time in yeah, Leipzig, you kind of had to think about God and what the fuck that meant for you personally. Well, you right? might as well. You don't have GPS. What else are you going to do? <laughs> There's no Netflix. It's fucking Leipzig and 17, Leipzig. whatever. How do I get to church? Go forward and make a left and then you're at yeah. church. Oh, yeah. good thing I prayed to God and you told me. <laughs> Like that worked out. So I would say when I listen to Bach, I I get a sense of a personal yeah, God. Sure, you know? sure, yeah, sure. Right. No, I think you're right. I think I agree with you. I know I know there are people who've said that um, don't really think of him as a believer. Think of the whole thing as sort of mercenary, and you know he was doing what he had to do to support his ten thousand kids and so forth. But right. As <laughs> as as would I. Yeah, yeah. No. I I get a I really I get a real awe for a. a higher power in in his work yeah um, and in yeah. a complex version of that yeah not like a a, a daddy in the sky who grants right. you like a really delicious right. breakfast but, in the morning but isn't, isn't that so much deeper though we talked <laughs> about the, is, we talked yeah. about that in the last episode how like yeah the, the concept of god like that's very different between even devout believers right because you can sure. you yeah. can meet one person who says like oh yeah God like and then it's like well what does that actually mean that's something I've learned is to oh, always yeah, ask you know, people what do you mean when you he's say in the, the sky word God. and like we're gonna die and like you know go like play tennis with Billy Joel and Jesus and can't let that go man it's gonna be great yeah. can't <laughs> let it go can't let the Billy Joel well you know go. it's been established Billy Joel if you're listening. Please uh, sign up for a hundred dollar. Billy Joe, give us a hundred dollars. Yeah. Come on. The, yeah. gra- the great book review, bottle of vodka at least. Book reviewer for the New Yorker, James Wood, wrote a really interesting essay a few years back where he talked about how when he was growing up in England, he played the drums and how meaningful the drums were for him and how he revered Keith Moon. And it's really an essay about Keith Moon. Hmm. But he talks about. Um, 
And when, and when he talks about Keith Moon, he says that the, the really sort of revolutionary thing he did was that he would he would sort of play in these moments where nobody had been playing drums before, and so he would sort of fill in these spaces where you were supposed to pause, and he would just roll right through them, and that kind of changed nice. the way that people thought about listening to rock and roll in the 60s. But he talks about Bach a lot, too, because he grew up with this classical education. He gets around to Glenn Gould's interpretations of the Goldberg variations and how different, famously, the one that was uh, recorded in the 50s or 60s is from the one that was recorded in the early 80s. And he set and his conclusion, and, and for the listeners at home who, who haven't heard them, you know, pulled up on Spotify, you can listen to them both. But the first one's very, it's, it's bravado, it's, it's fast, it's confident, it's, it's energetic, and, the, young, and the, the second one is much slower and more meditative. And James Wood says that um, when he wrote the essay that he still sort of reveres that younger Goldberg variation. He wants to be the person who thinks mm. about the world that way. Sure, in his I current see, yeah. place, he is much more the second Glenn Gould, mm. and, and feels like that is the world as he understands it. I mean, both things have to exist almost, right? Sure. I mean, that's what growing up is, right? Yeah. 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 One I builds mean, upon the yeah. other. You know, the world needs 20-year-olds, but it also mm-hmm. needs 50-year-olds to tell the 20-year-olds yeah. to stop fucking around and like, yeah. go to sleep. You know? yeah. like, 20-year-olds <laughs> to rage. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's symbiotic, yeah. yeah. For me, like what I'm studying with Bach is like getting into the text and 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 what I've found so far is the deeper you get, you never find uh, a roadblock where you're like, oh, that's just a thing for being a thing. It's like, right. oh, he's commenting on the theology mm. of the cross versus the theology of, you know. Right, yeah, that's pretty and, cool. And, and, and you're I seeing like all these, like, and then it ties into the musical form. You're like, oh, this duality is, like, tying into, like, this um, cantata, which is in seven parts. You have the first seven movements. Then you would have the sermon of the mass and then the last right. seven movements. Right. And look, that chorale comes back at the end, but now he's using this stanza yeah. of text. And, yeah. and it, it just, like, makes you think, like, one... I wish I lived back then in the sense of, like, you just had all the time in the world to do your craft. Minus dying on a farm of smallpox, but go yeah, on. Yeah, and minus not being able to work at night because there was no light. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you went to bed and you well, woke up and yeah. fucking, you, you, know. could buy, you could buy a candle. <laughs> yeah, they have candles. Yeah. Oh. You're yeah. playing your shitty harpsichord. Trump is going to give us candles candle light again. or whatever. Yeah, who knows how, like, out of tune those Trump is going to make candles great again. <laughs> I mean that's a that's a, a cool thing in the in the period instrument world now, which is like, mm. you know, it, it, it's like a debate. It's like, well, do you play? I always make this joke, right? We're playing on. It's called historically informed performances, right? So you tune to the tuning systems they used back then. You use the instrument. Oh, that's cool. String players Sometimes. string players use gut yeah. strings, right? They use different bows yeah. and different bowing technique. People read the treatises of like teachers from back then and yeah. try to copy oh, cool. like all all these kind of things. But then. I remember being at a concert and they were tuning the organ with an iPhone, and I was just like, "Well, that's not period performance." Yeah. You know? That's like, also, that's like I mean, the Amish charging their you know, like, like cell phones in their cars, yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. "What are you really it's getting like, around on, here?" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Listening to an organ in a church can be really moving, but also yeah. pianos are just fucking way better than some of the stuff they were playing. So back are modern then, violins, you know? and it's so like are that's why violins. they switched to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although, let me submit this in the trumpet world. Um, okay. If you if you play Bach on modern trumpet, you're going to use a piccolo trumpet. It's okay. a small trumpet so that the extreme high register that you're playing Bach in, it's very secure. But what you get when modern people play Bach is a very technically accurate version of Bach. So you right. would get like a, yeah. 
let's say in the case of B minor mass, you know, every note is like a block of sound that's perfectly even. On Baroque trumpet, there's no way to play and 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 be that accurate. What you actually have to do is you map on the text, and so in that case, the text is like just the word Gloria, right? Mm. And and only the G has like a harsh mm. beginning. The other yeah. parts are and you play more lyrically on a Baroque trumpet. Not to say you can't do that on a modern trumpet, but it's so much easier to get away with the more technical version, whereas on a Baroque trumpet, the only way to possibly be accurate is to play lyrically. It's almost like a cool, like the ticket into even making mm. it work is lyricism. I got wow. good news and bad news. What's that? I know what the bad news is. It, they're both the same. We're down to this is the last beer. That's that's perfect. Yeah. Timing I, timing works out perfect. How is that bad news at all? Well, because we're out of beer. The, uh, so we're we're drinking. Uh, How is it good news at all? Because we're out of beer, <laughs> <laughs> and we should probably stop drinking. <laughs> so we're pouring. We're, but we, this is the, we started I, with the opinion, Sand City. Yeah. Want to catch people up on the beer we drank? Okay, Joe? yeah. Because I, I so actually circled back to the Sand yeah. City. Walk through this here. All right. So we started with the Sand City. Uh, we went on to I think the Night Shift Brewing Morph Indian Pale Ale. Um, pretty good. I enjoyed it. Um, pretty good brewery in general. I think. Um, then we moved on to the Burial, which is one of my favorite. Yeah, you're a believer in them. Yeah, um, so this was the Scythe Rye. It, it, it's an IPA. To okay. me, it tastes more like a, like an American pale ale yeah. because it's got that like, you know, ryeness to it. Um, they they do some really good beers. I can recommend some for you for sure. Um, I've had I've had some amazing burial beers. Well, they do that yeah. Blades one. That's really the good. Gang of Blades. Yeah. Is really, I, I think that's the best one. But they also do. I forget the name of it, but they do a coffee stout hmm. that will just like knock you on your butt. After, like, one, it's, like... Like many a coffee stout, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, 12% or something ridiculous, but... Um, it's from Asheville, it's North Carolina, which is a city that yeah. has a really great beer scene. Yeah, like, I, I really want to just go there, like, really Airbnb for there. a yeah. few nights and, like, hit a different brewery every day. Yeah, and then we had... Um, the other uh, ones, uh, we had Barrier Money. Barrier Money, yeah. And then this one I had actually never heard of, Joe. Did, where oh, did you that's, get this? That, that's, this was that, yours. Th- this right. is the, the, the visitor's contribution. Oh. That's McKellar. So yeah. interesting thing about McKellar. So they're out of San Diego, but hmm. Evil Twin in Brooklyn, the other twin is McKellar. Wait, is he the evil one? That's not for me to say. Right. Oh, man. But, but what do you suspect? But, but, but there are two. One is yeah. Evil Twin. Right. There was a falling out, famously. Oh, and the really? other is McKellar. like a real falling out, or like a oh, I, it's again. Not was it like I want to use this malt for the beer? It was you. staged for yeah. the or you sake banged of my wife, the, yeah. Yeah. or yeah. is it like you banged my wife? But McKellar, even though <laughs> who knows, even though they're in San Diego, I have not yet been. But in the uh, beneath City Field where the Mets play, there is this huge new brewery. Wait, really? Yes, interesting. And it's McKellar. Really? And it's supposed to revolutionize craft beer drinking in Major League Baseball. I mean, I've been to a few parks, and the craft brewing at them is not on point. So. I am planning on making a pilgrimage to City Field and checking this out for myself. But let, yes, let me know. Okay. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I think out of all of these, I'm glad that we're finishing with the Sand City because that's the best one. This yeah. one is like yeah. I just took another sip and I'm yeah. like, it's the best one. This is the best. Beer. I think they're I, doing great work. I, I mean, they're yeah, killing it. Really out good. There. They're, they're yeah. killing it. Yeah, yeah it's, they're great. I think yeah, I told this, this story before uh, we hit record, but I was I was I was in my kitchen and I was uh, grabbing 
oh, two of so these good. San Cities to bring over. Oh my and, god! And like I'm getting them out of a drawer in my fridge, and it just brushed up against like the top of the drawer yeah. and popped open. And I thought to myself, "All right, I'm kind of late. I'm kind of spraying everywhere. Beer spraying everywhere. I'm <laughs> like I'm kind of late getting yeah. to Joe's place." But at the same time, amazing beer is spraying everywhere. What do I do? You made the right call. So I started shotgunning beer like as if I was in high school where you like... Yeah, you reverted to your primal instincts. the side and you, of the beer. And you were correct. I was we're correct. lucky to have them. They're, yeah. they're, I mean, they're doing great, great stuff. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm sold. There's something similar to writing, similar to music. You know, beer. I, I guess uh, something we kept coming back to in this episode was my experience with music seems to sync up really well with with um, the kinds of balancing acts that, that you talk about in writing. And I think the commonality is not in the craft itself necessarily, but in the fact that it's humans doing the craft, you know? Right. Because I, I feel the same thing when I taste an amazing beer. Like, one of the reasons that um, the Trillium DDH Fort Point is just tagged in my memory it's as a great my favorite one. beer. It's a great one, yeah. I remember sitting. I was where I was sitting in my room. Me and my girlfriend were watching Netflix, and I brought up a can of this Four Point. I had gone on a beer trip up up through New England. Yeah, SFI. And so it was very fresh. Um, we opened it. I poured it, and you know we were very present moment. Just like finished our work for the night, watching Netflix. You know the deal. Instead of a short story reading, <laughs> um, and I took a sip of this beer, and it was it was like this. Almost like listening to Bach spiritual moment, right? Right. And I don't think that it's it's like I, I think the commonality is that it's it's something interacting with the human brain. It's not, you know, oh, music and writing and then everything else is something different. I think if you talk to really accomplished cooks, if you talk to accomplished sure. beer brewers, sure. musicians, writers, artists. Painters, sculptors, yeah, right. What what you what you see is they all have use the same or similar language to talk about the craft, to talk about, if anything, what they learned about themselves through learning the craft, you know? And and all the people I love hanging out with are people that have have gone down the rabbit hole in something. It doesn't even matter what the thing is. Yeah. Well, I mean, two thoughts. One is that it's, I, I think it's as crazy as the comp seems, I think it's unsurprising that that word craft shows up again in craft beer because there is... Again, the connotations of putting in the work. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the idea being that this beer is better because people have put in the work. You right. Know? And then the second thing being, what I tell my students is, um, it's all about process. If if you can convince the reader or the listener or whatever um, that the thing that they're about to spend time with uh, is is worth their time then you have them. And that only mm. comes from putting the time in. And so people who spend all that time practicing the violin, working out the whatever they do, the hops with the beer, the recipes working out the, the sentences yeah. and the writing, those people have developed a reverence uh, for what they do. And they are, on a certain level, serious people. And I feel like a lot of times 
we get bummed out by the world because we feel like we're surrounded by people who aren't serious, who mm. are just doing things and saying things because they can, but not because they've thought about in them a reactionary or put time way. Into them. Yeah, and yeah. it just bums you out. And yeah. then you spend time with a musician or a writer, or maybe even a brewer, and it's clear that that person has put in a lot of time and cares a lot about her craft. And you think to yourself, okay, well, you're a serious person. You are worth my time. Yeah, yeah. It's like a level of trust too. I feel like because my my favorite writers, I always feel like as I start reading them, pretty much off the bat, there's even if, like you said, you know, I'm not entirely convinced right away, but there's like sentence level yeah. stuff going on where yeah. I'm like, okay, it, it's this like trust where I'm like, I'm convinced that yeah. you're good at what you do. That's right. And like, you're going to take me somewhere yeah. that I haven't been to or that trust. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to get somewhere where, like, it's worthwhile for me because I know that, like you're saying, you've put in the time. And that's I think that's true of most artistry in general, right? I remember a trumpet uh, teacher at a master class once said, you have to put the audience in a dream state. And nice. I, um, it, it was the trumpet player played something and then I was just watching, which I learned so much more from watching a master class than playing in one. Because, mm. like, when you're playing in one, you're all mm. caught up in your own, like, ego bullshit yeah. when you're watching you just get to absorb it all and so cool. the guy was playing and then he sort of just in trumpet unfortunately one of the things is you have to empty out the water that accumulates in your I, instrument I, i've seen you do that like so yeah. many times where you're just like yeah and on the broke empty, trumpets empty. it's even more disturbing you have to like turn it upside down and whatever so yeah. he he just i guess he did it in a way that was he broke character you know and she was like don't you know you had us like you were yeah. playing so beautifully right. and then you were just like <sighs> And and she was like, and then I remembered I'm in a, a recital hall at a university watching a trumpet player, yeah. you know. But for a moment, I was like in this moment yeah. of the music, and yeah. and you could have kept us, but you lost us, you know. Right. Yeah. It's like I was telling him about the the Fort Point beer, where um, it 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 honestly reminded me of a musical chord, the way it hit my tongue. It had a front that yeah. was so edgy. That if it kept going in that direction, I would have spit it out of my mouth. Right. But then all of a sudden, mm. it transitioned into this middle of just juicy sweetness, and then at the end, it just had the sh- the, the the tickle of like champagne, you know, like that kind of yeah. And, and, and guess how they figured that out? Trial and error. Trial and error, because yeah, they craft. probably made a lot of beer yeah. that they did spit out. You sure. Know? Yeah. Well, and, you know, Trillium is is sort of Bach-like in that. I may be the first person to make that. that I don't think that sentence <laughs> may have soundbite. That sentence Trillium may have not been uttered. Maybe Bach-like yeah. in that yeah. you drink their stuff and it is clean. It is on point. It yeah. gets you from A to B. I mean, yeah. there is no messiness. There is no bullshit. I mean, yeah. it is all like. And you can super, always get it. That's what I love it's, about it's it. It's on point. Yeah, if you go sure. there, you can get it. You don't have to wait on line for like yeah. three hours to get trillium you know so they've are, managed when, to when scale up when their... is this happening oh well so uh my girlfriend's gonna be up at tanglewood in in lennox oh, massachusetts all summer great. so and she has a house up there is now, she gonna so. be there for the summer yeah two so months she's gonna see the bso yeah she'll be playing with them and stuff like that whoa yeah. wow um it's like a program terrific with the BSO. oh that's yeah. amazing so great and she got what does she play violin oh wow um, so i'm a big I... andres nelson's fan so oh cool yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He's cool. He reminds me of like he almost looks like he's um, 
like like a creature from the Shire or something. Yeah, like, but you listen the, the way he. We'll ta- link it in the description. The way he talks about music is what, the way the Shire. Sure. The way he talks about the music is the way I want the conductor of my symphony talking about music. Sure. Yeah. It's just so felt. It's so energetic. It's so sincere. And the way he conducts. So in terms of conducting, right? Like you can have the same conversation we've had about technique versus lyricism, about structure versus expressivity, right? All this stuff. Um, for a conductor, you you see that there's a whole spectrum of people that are just very structured to mm. expressive, right? And the job of a conductor is a lot of things. One of them is to show the beat. That's mm-hmm. what most people think of a conductor. But when people um, wonder and they ask musicians, like, what are you looking at when you look at the conductor? My answer is always, like, mostly their eyes. Hmm. It's, oh, that's interesting. You get you get cool. the the emotional information from their eyes, right? Huh. The other data from like the way their hands are moving are kind of going in the side of my eyes. You know, they're like it's I'm seeing it, but mostly I'm looking at how. And when I say their eyes by eye contact, of course, it means like their eyebrows and like their facial like yeah. wrinkles and how they're. But the way a conductor looks at you tells you everything about the sound you have to make. Hmm. Mahler five opening, right? That famous trumpet. Da-da-da-dum. Yeah. The way conductors come out for that piece, hmm. um, they'll come out, they'll bow, right? And then they almost always put their head down. Right. And then they look up like this. Yeah. Like, because they had they had to put their head down and then find it, for those the Mahler you, energy. Who can't see, he just zoned the fuck in. <laughs> he really did. Hard. And, yeah. and, and as a trumpet player... You know, that could obviously freak you the fuck out if Andres yeah. Nelson stares at you yeah. like that, right? Yeah. And he does it in a way, like, for him, his body language is very, like, I just kicked beer over. Sorry. He did, yeah. yeah. No, but that's how emphatic his body He's language is. He's way in on yeah. Andres Nelson yeah. right now. It's like this, right? <laughs> He's in a football stance. Yeah. <laughs> for those of you who can't well, see. Are we not video yet, Joe? Not, yeah, not quite yet. Yeah. If you like, share, and subscribe on Patreon, though, we could do I it. love when you get drunk, drunker, Joe. Say you say like, share, subscribe, and you go like, share, subscribe. Because <laughs> uh, I'm laughing and also a little drunk. So um, I really like Andres Nelson. I will say I do not share his admiration of Shostakovich. Sure. It's, a lo- it's just I mean, not my cup of tea. A lot of, a lot of composers know? get like... Um, you get like the love hate relationship. People either love them or hate them. Uh, Bruckner is another one. People either love that's Bruckner or hate Bruckner. Yeah, that's a good uh, one. Yeah. As a brass player, I have to love Bruckner. You know, he just writes like really difficult and right. amazingly like right. just fun to play yeah. like brass parts. But I've heard um, you know faculty at Stony Brook like say like oh Bruckner's bullshit. You know, right, like right. and I was like, well, that's a pretty intense sentence to yeah. say. You know, like. Yeah. But, you know, Concise what, and it makes me want to reply, like, when's the last time the New York Phil played one of your symphonies? But You, know, you just don't. I don't. No, I'm, yeah. I'm like, oh, good point. Like, what did I get on the paper? You know? <laughs> so so while we have you here, how do you feel about the new conductor of the New York Phil? Give us your take. Has this been covered already? On Jop von no. Sweden? Yeah, I don't okay. think we've yeah, covered give it to that, us. Yeah. Give it to us. Jop von Sweden? Yeah. Okay? So I, I actually first saw his conducting up at Tanglewood. Okay, um, great. This was in 2012. Hmm. Um, I had. That's when he was doing Houston or something. Is that right? He was still in Houston. Yeah. And um, he was actually conducting the TMC Orchestra. So Tanglewood Music Center is the students who come there, and they sort of sub in and out of the BSO occasionally. Boston Symphony members will come and play with them. Um, 
so he he was conducting a few BSO concerts, and he conducted um, Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony up there. I actually still have the video mm. somewhere in my Gmail. Somewhere okay. of, I took a video of him conducting Tchaikovsky's nice. Fourth Symphony opening. Um, he's extremely intense. Okay, like yeah. um, obviously, uh, you guys listening at home can't see uh, the gestures, but. Um, his his the way his arms move are 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 and and this is what I love about music every time I try to describe it I can't quite find the words you know sure but um so the opening of the Tchaikovsky symphony is you know dun da 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 dun 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 and this guy yeah the way he gives an upbeat making scary faces is is yeah so he i'm scared like the upbeat is so intense and it says everything about how the downbeat should be right and and how great cocaine is um i don't think he's a coke guy i don't think he's a coke guy either (laughs) something tells me he's not a straight edge (laughs) so he channels his coke rage through conducting i saw him Uh, eating ice cream once with his wife he was very lovely close enough (laughs) i'll take it but you know, I think when a lot when when but I can't tell. Are you a fan or or not? I, I am a fan. Okay, I, mean, I okay. don't know him personally. I know okay. he got into. You saw some... him eating ice cream with his wife. Yeah, that's, I'm that's a fan of ice pretty cream. Pretty intimate, as you yeah, know. Yeah, no, that's. Um, that's I, I I think he got into some trouble when he was in Houston with like being so intense that he would like, um, you know, basically you know call out a specific player and then ask them to leave on the dress rehearsal, mm. things like that. Wow. When they first said he was coming to New York. Um, my first thought was like good okay. because a lot of times, um, you know, the New York Phil gets called out for being too emotionless, too mm. technical, okay. too dry, let's say. Um, and I thought that's going to okay. sort of change that dynamic right. a little bit. Um, I saw him do Mahler one in with New York Phil a couple years ago. Um, this was before he was officially the music director. Um, and I thought he made the orchestra sound better. He has an intensity but while standing on the podium that makes um, everybody a combination of scared and inspired, you know? I have heard, and I don't know anything about anything, but I have heard that that Mahler 1 performance was his unofficial audition. Yeah, and that's usually how it works. Like, yeah. uh, if, mm. if, you get, if you're going to be offered a big, big job... Yeah. They they obviously can't have you sign the dotted line before you, you know, wield your wand in front yeah. of the musician, yeah. so to speak. Right. Yeah. Um, even in with practice. if you win a trumpet job, they often have a trial week. They'll often pick two winners, and then um, oh, one one winner will play no a trial pressure. week. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Um, when they were trying to pick a principal trumpet for New York, because the guy retired, who was the principal trumpet there forever, Phil Smith. Um, Basically, um, the really young kid, Matt Mucky, who won the job when he was fucking 21 years old. He won third trumpet position. How much you hate that guy? I don't hate anybody. (laughs) Uh, But if you had to hate somebody, (laughs) come on, dude. Do you mean if I had to murder somebody and take their place in the world? Right. Yes, sure. That would be like on the list. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It would be on the list. Yeah, yeah. you'd be top. What three. was that film, the Mr. Ripley one or whatever? Uh, the talented Mr. Ripley. That's your talented Mr. Yeah. Ripley. Sure. Guy. Okay. Yeah, you're <laughs> good. Yeah. So apparently, what they did was when they 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 were bringing in like prospective first new first trumpet players, which that that's a big job. It gets three hundred thousand a year. 
the principal trumpet job in the New York Phil. What? Oh, yeah. I love how That's how much a trumpet player makes? I love That's how, how much the principal trumpet in the New York New, Phil New York makes. Phil conspiracies. <laughs> it's not a conspiracy. It's just the salary. <laughs> That's just exactly another what another conspiracy theorists would say. <laughs> well, I am so impressed by the salary of the principal. Do you know what the highest paid orchestral musician in the United States is? I obviously have no idea. <laughs> a million and one dollars, the concertmaster of Cleveland Orchestra. Wait, he literally makes a million I don't know if it's $1. still the case, but I know that he had in his contract that he had to be the highest paid that, orchestral but that, musician. But that, oh, and somebody else was making a million? Yeah. But hold on. That, the mic, though. That, Nevertheless. That, that orchestra <laughs> has to play in Miami in the winter because they can't sustain themselves in Cleveland. I mean, how can they pay that guy? Um, they're one of the top five in the country. They have... Big budget. I would say the the biggest budget orchestra in terms of like financially healthy is Boston. I remember going to a, a seminar at Tanglewood where um, they were talking about why the BSO budget is so healthy, and one of the reasons is they own their concert hall, so they don't have to rent which is it a, out. Which is a oh. which is a beautiful space if you haven't been. To oh, it. beautiful space, yeah. 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 Um, another reason is like the whole Tanglewood aspect. That's is, a cash cow. It has to be. It's a yeah. cash cow, but it's also like it, it makes the job when you win a job in BSO, like, of course you have to play all summer, but most orchestras have some kind of summer thing. And Nelson spends a third of the year in Leipzig. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 What I love about, you know, just to bring it full circle, what I love about like listening to different orchestras and different conductors is you could you could play different recordings as long as um, there's some brass going on. I could probably guess which orchestra you're playing. Well, that's that's really cool. That's and really cool. Uh, string players could do the yeah. same. They could say that sounds like the Cleveland strings. That sounds right. like New York Phil strings. Right. Um, there there's a subtlety to to any craft, mm. that, and I'm sure with writing like. You know, th- th- there's aspects that you can't even quite put words to, but you can say that sounds like a Vonnegut sentence. Well, you that could, sounds like you, a, you could yeah. put words to it, but it's all solitary. I mean, that's what's so interesting about these orchestras and symphonies is that they have a communal sound, right? So, I mean, you're saying the BSO has a different sound from the New York Phil, has a different sound from Cleveland, has a different sound from Chicago, right. has a different sound from L.A. and their hotshot guy. Yeah, like all all those has a different sound from you know, Gavant House or whatever from Vienna. I mean, that all these different orchestras and symphonies have different sounds, even though there are like 80 people in And them. even though like, they're playing crazy. the same yeah, music. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then those orchestras will, will their sounds will evolve if a new conductor rolls in. And, of course. And especially yeah. if that conductor is not a passive conductor, but they're very active. Right. They demand certain sounds, right? Yeah, depending um, on the vibe that... You know they they want to go for exactly. it. That's, that's who they'll recruit. Exactly. And I think it's right. good for the BSO that Nelson's spending that time in Leipzig. But I mean, obviously, you know that's crazy. I mean, the yeah. guy's like basically doing two symphonies now. Yeah, I mean those 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 really big conductors like they're they're just all over the place. You know, like um, I just can't I can't quite imagine. Like I remember hearing uh, a, a pretty big conductor say once, like it's really hard to be a conductor. You have to know everything. Of course it's, you do. It's like, yeah, it's crazy. You know, because like yeah. to interpret a big scale like a Mahler, it's like every every aspect that you start to study about the score will lead you down a rabbit hole of like weeks of studying, you know? Right. But then you also have to know when to like put a roadblock there and go back and be yeah, like, do, I have rehearsal do, tomorrow. Do your other stuff. Yeah, well, there's that amazing that Simpsons uh, episode where Homer's watching the symphony and he, his line is something to the effect of, could that bassoon have come in any later? You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, but I mean, Touché, it's like, Homer. You know, you're listening yeah. to 80 people or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. It's like, how are you listening to that? It's yeah. crazy. And so there, there, there are um, uh, conductors over the years that are especially famous for having amazing ears. Of course. You know, so one of them is Gunther Schuller. And I, I was at Tanglewood watching a rehearsal. Um, he was he was conducting. Um, I think hmm, it may have been one of his pieces, but I, I forget. But um, his ear is insane. Like it was a very thick contemporary piece, very atonal. And he just stopped, and he was just like, you know, like third trumpet. Like, why would you play an F natural? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And it's That's like, wild. how the fuck did you That's hear wild. that? You yeah, know? it's crazy. Those kinds of things. Um, I do think if I have, I think if I were in the Marvel universe and I had a superpower, it would be the ability to identify good sentences. I think that's my superpower. I think I could pull out a sentence and be like, this is why this sentence is good. This is why this sentence is not good. But for yourself or to be able to express that to others? In the world. Yeah. So someone's robbing a bank and you pop into the wall you bust through and yeah. you're like Kool-Aid man style. that's right but you read yeah. one sentence at a time when you're conducting a symphony you're listening yeah. to you know ostensibly 80 sentences at once sure. you know, it's crazy or you know yeah i mean so when when uh, when it comes to uh, certain types of music you have like homophony which is like you know a one melodic line with like a structured harmony but then you have polyphony which is like bach right yeah. you have four maybe five right. independently moving lines. I know. And in this sense, they, they have this really beautiful definition of harmony. In music, we generally have melody, which is the tune you sing, and harmony, which is the accompaniment. But when you listen to Bach, you get the truest sense of harmony, which is that harmony is frozen counterpoint. Harmony is frozen melodies. So you have four independent melodies, and then if you were to freeze a moment in time, you would say that's you know a G chord or whatever. Right. But... Really, it, you had this sense of four snaking independent lines, and you're like, how the hell is Bach going to get us back to the key we're right. in? How is yeah. it going to get to time? Yeah. And yet, there we are, right with the timpani, boom, and we get to the D major chord at the end of you know B minor mass, and you just think, that's God, you know? Like yeah. something it deep like that. It ain't Netflix. No. Just, I, have, I have to say, you know, I mean, it's not classical, but... You listen to symphonic pop. You listen to something like the Beach Boys. They're trying to do the same thing on a simpler level. Sure, and it's, that's, you that's know, a really interesting. It's moving. Example, you know, yeah. I mean, you listen to. Right. to, to well, that's why of, it's catchy. That's right? why. That's yeah. why it works. But yeah, it's the same. Sure. It's the same thing that he was talking about. It's yeah. it's that you've got like four different things going on. You're trying to layer them over each other, and make right. them all come back to the same ending point. Right. Yeah. Joe, should we uh, give him a few uh, rapid fire questions? Yeah. Ooh, rapid fire! Rapid fire, end which of is an interview a little question. outrageous, by the way. There's no beer for these rapid fire questions. I know, it, it, uh, it's a, it's a not shame. one. Are we legit at a beer? I could check, but I'm pretty sure we. Do. I, right, give me the rapid fire questions. Right, we'll just get. We'll do it. Give them. We'll, we'll just do it. All right, let's go. Rapid so fire. So a few go. of these I, I've I've picked up on uh, uh, from yeah. listening to other podcasts, yeah. like whatever. Everything oh, really? everybody does is stolen from somewhere. Yeah, okay. Simpsons did it. Yeah. But uh, here's one of the favorite ones I've always heard, which is: Can you think of the time you've laughed hardest in your life? Mm. Three seconds go. Slap shot. Okay, that was an answer. Fuck, I don't have any questions. Feel free to elaborate. Yeah. Slapshot <laughs> is a Paul Newman film from the late 70s about ice hockey that is could not, for a million reasons, be made today. I see. Interesting. I'll, I'll have to check that out. Butterside up or butterside down, go. 
what is Butterside Down? That wasn't the question. What is what? Wait, I'm sorry. Did we say our rapid fire what questions can't have a follow up? What is Butterside Down? You eat the toast with the butter, the buttered side. People do that. Psychos, yeah. <laughs> That's like saying cold shower or yeah. like regular shower. Is this yeah. like a trick question? No, it's a, it's a Doctor Seuss question actually. Okay, well, whatever. No, up. Up, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, okay. Luke, go. If you had uh, one, it, you know, if, if you were to have one career path that wasn't the one you're doing as a yeah, writer. Right. What, Left, what left-handed pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. Oh. Left-handed. I like mm-hmm. that. That's a good answer. Are you a left-handed person? No, no but he. Huh. But that's the right answer. <laughs> that's definitely no, that's the left answer. That, that's, that's definitely the right answer. All right, yeah. no hands or no feet. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I guess no feet. <laughs> yeah, that's what, the trouble with a good would you rather, like would you rather have no hands or no feet? It's like yeah. when you give that sigh that you just gave, yeah. it's the sigh of like, right. oh, both suck yeah. so yeah. equally. Neither I, is I good. trust robotics more with feet than hands, I guess is what it comes I disagree. I've All seen right. Terminator. That's a great plus, sentence. Yeah. But yeah, that's fair. No, but like in 2018, I would trust robot feet more than I would trust robot hands. Right, Not like Luke, trust, go. like Next I don't think my robot hand would like attack me. <laughs> I just mean, like, like the foot could just be a... No hands is tough for a writer. Yeah. That's tough. But you could dictate. It's also not the same. You know that. No, like Paradise Lost style. Come on. Yeah, Like, just be blinded dictating. All right, so, (laughs) quick sidebar. Milton claimed that he had the Holy Ghost in his ear. Right, yeah. Giving it to him uninterrupted. Yeah. Come on. And he dictated to his wife, right? Stop. Isn't that what happened? Yeah. Or, no, his daughter's. Oh, really? His daughters, whom he slavishly made learn Greek and Latin when they were like five years old. Ah, checks out. That's how you fucking learn a language when you're young, yeah. though. The Milton plan. Do you yeah. speak a second language at all? No, I studied Latin when I was in college, and I speak Spanish extremely poorly, um, but I don't fluently speak a second language, yeah. no. But was that a rapid fire question? I mean, it, it was just a question. I no, answered it rapid fire. No ears or no nose, go. I don't know why I'm taking away his body parts. Yeah, Joe's rapid fire. You're just trying to be a genie in training. I know. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, le- I'm gonna get rid of the nose. I mean, I will say quickly as a follow up to that that the Gogol story, the nose. Oh, that's right. That's a great one. That's a weird story. It's a weird one. You know, it's a really yeah. weird. I mean, that's the thing about those Russians. The thing. Yeah, I'm they, gonna they, go they, so far off the rapid fire. You just have to no, that's me fine. For a sec. That's but fine. But the thing about Russia in the early night, the thing. A thing about Russia yeah. in the, the early... The one singular thing about Russia. You don't want to offend our two Russian downloaders. In the early yeah. 19th century is that they didn't have this shared collective literary artistic history mm. because, it, you know, Russia as we think of it today just didn't, like, come together like that. And so their, right. their, their cultural and artistic history as we conceive of it, at least as Americans really was from, like, the early 1800s to the early 1900s. And in that 100-year period, they just smoked the whole world. They were like, what do you want to do? You want to write fiction? We got it. You want to write poetry? We got it. You want to write classical music? We're there. You want to do avant-garde art? We're on it. Like, you want to do ballet? We're right there, too. Like, for 100 years, they just killed it. Despite not really having a robust tradition, they just took all of the, like, coldness and misery and weirdness of that place and channeled it into artistic excellence that the world has never known. It's amazing. And Gogol's right at the beginning of it. Gogol's, like, you know, 
Tropical Agent nose, Zero or whatever. I mean, and he I mean, didn't have a nose. I mean, Pushkin is probably like Pushkin's probably <laughs> like the like basically the, the first guy. Yeah, but among fiction writers, Gogol's probably the first yeah. one. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, well, where do you stand on the whole God thing? What do you think happens when you die? <laughs> That's not a rapid fire. That's I said it pretty rapid fire. Jesus H. Walt Women, can I quote Walt Women? Is that allowed? Definitely, yes, absolutely. In the mysteries, in the mysteries of God, we dare not dally. That's a good way to end the podcast. I think. I, I think so. We, right. we can't hang up on him though. Okay, yeah, we usually play this hang up game with Johnny, but unfortunately, Johnny yeah. couldn't make it today. So, how do you hang up on a human in person? Do you just walk away? Yeah, I, th- I think we just go and leave. Sounds him cold. Yeah. yeah, I do have to pee pretty bad, so I think I'm going to go walk away and do that. Thanks, I mean, we, we could just say thank you for joining us. <laughs> yeah, we could do the normal yeah. thing. Yeah. Did we yeah. set the Thunk Tank podcast record for references to Leipzig? Uh, we, we definitely set that. We also <laughs> yeah. set the Thunk Tank podcast record for references to Billy Joel tennis. Yep, yep, we topped that list um, for sure. We probably set a few records depending on how yeah. you define that. And in fact, if you're able to pick them all out, listener, you can subscribe on Patreon and be a winner. <laughs> Luke, just fucking roll with it. <laughs> Joe goes into Patreon character. He just says bullshit and like someone has to. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, uh, thank thanks you. for uh, yeah, having thanks, a conversation. Thanks for thank you us. for having me. Uh, it was very fun, yeah. and uh, we'll see you next time. We got some episodes coming up. One is Seinfeld analysis. Oh, we got some good ones coming up. Um, another one is uh, we're going to have our friend Nathan back on yeah. and kind of ask him the same kind of questions, but he's a music composer. We're going to yeah. ask him about how he... How Hold he, on. I know, Nathan. You should make him talk about short fiction as much as I talked about music. That's a great fair idea. Fair point. Yeah. Very, very fair point. We're going to take um, you up he's on actually, that. Yeah. He's actually uh, collaborates a lot with a, a, a writer named Ben Laurie, who I just re- re- yeah. read a short story Talk about weird stuff. called The Snake in the Throat or yeah. something like that. Have yeah. you read that one, Joe? No, but I've read some of his stuff and um, I'm like... It's so short. Yeah. Like, I also read it yeah. at a bar. <laughs> yeah. Well, Maybe you I'm can. at bars a lot. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we should ask him about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, and if you guys have ideas for topics you want us to talk about, like, hit us up. Email, Twitter, Facebook, yeah. all the internet shit. Yeah, all the Insta hashtagings. Uh, I I really feel weird not being able to hang up on Johnny. You can hang up on me. So right. I'm going to start talking about right. Cassius's ring. No, no, the way how, I hang up. Cassius was really all about being.